In a world that tells us science has been settled, we tell them the journey has merely begun. It's easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled. I am a high-priced Washington lobbyist peddling influence. For years now, space programs have been nothing but trickery. They tricked you then, and they trick you now. Sometimes the trick is easily noticed. Other times, it goes over your head. For the man that started it all, to the men who continue the agenda, real science proves water finds and maintains its own level. It doesn't matter who tries to sell you the idea that oceans are curving around a ball. There is no curvature. No matter how high you go on an airplane, or if you strap a camera to a weather balloon, the results are always the same. Unless you attach a fisheye lens to the camera. But that one-trick pony is coming to an end. This spring, find out how money really makes the world go. Round Levels Say again please Houston we have a problem Who wants to know Did you reply Who wants to know Yes Abs in a six pack. Abs in a six pack. Abs in a six pack is not the greatest podcast in the world. I know Abs in a six pack is a bad show, but what else do you have going on? Today is March 29th, 2023, here for episode 191 of Abs in a Six Pack with Mario Garza. This is a new live son of a bitch. This is a new live son of a bitch. I'll tell you this, this is not going to be boring, boys and girls. <laughs> I can do this voice. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be live here for the next two hours. I'm a drink of beer. Scientists do science. Open up your eyes, man. Opening up our eyes. I'm here with Mario Garza. How you doing, Mario? I am solid, man. What a great intro. I'm pumped. Oh, yeah. I'm hyped now, too. Uh, now, Dean Reiner of the Up Is Down podcast is the one who put us in touch, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I got to give a shout out to Dean because he's uh, I, I would consider him a friend. I hope he would he would uh, consider me the same. I, I've talked to him off and on for so long now. And uh, so, yeah, I got to give a shout out to Dean. Got to appreciate got to give him some appreciation for um, putting us together because um, I'm excited. I, I don't know much about Flat Earth. Uh, I have friends that have. Uh, Shandon, actually, Shandon, who um, I worked with for a long time and I knew before we worked together, has talked to me about it for a long time, but that was kind of the extent of it. I haven't fully looked into mm. it as much as maybe I should have, so I'm hoping maybe you can red pill me. Uh, full disclosure, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say I'm a glober or a globalist, but I'm not like mm-hmm. fully on board with Flat Earth either, so. Got it, got it. No, understood. And yeah, shout out to Dean. He's awesome, man. Really love that guy uh, and his girl, so they're really good people. And uh, I just appreciate everything he's doing as well. So, yeah, he's solid stuff. 
Yeah, and uh, no problem, man. I'm I'm happy to basically go wherever you want to go with this conversation because there are so many tangents with everything. I was writing down notes for the show to prep for everything, and I was kind of blown away actually at my list that I was able to gather. And so it's uh, it's kind of tricky talking about a paradigm shift because there's so much information that we could cover. So if there was stuff that you wanted to bring up and talk about, first and foremost, we can do that. Otherwise, I definitely have topics I can share. Uh, I, I say we can maybe do a little uh, dance and kind of go back and forth with our own things because I, I definitely have some clips. Cool. I, I have some clips that I pulled. We got up. a bunch of clips coming up, <laughs> and I so I have I have some like um, some kind of basically some normie deep. Like I have Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye, who we love pulling clips of for the show. I have some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Proving, quote unquote, the earth is round. I have, uh, anyway, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it. But off the top, before I forget, I do need to thank uh, Sir Candanavian, who came in with a donation for $33. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, he's the executive producer of this show. Uh, where is it? I thought I had a bell for him. I think it was again. Well, I'll give him one of these. Can I give you a cookie? Can I give you a cookie? Oh, a cookie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, uh, Sir Candanavian. I think I'm going to be doing a show with him soon, actually, as well. He, oh, it was, I'm sorry. Mm. It was 3333 uh, USD. So that I don't know what the Canadian amount where that translates to. And then uh, Blackbeard, with uh, black, where the, the E, the double E in beard is 33. Blackbeard came in with 20 bucks. So thank you, Blackbeard. You were uh, both the producers of the show. And I got to thank the artists uh, at Undead Eclipse been a friend of mine for a long time did that great dill gribble art with him peering over the uh, flat earth on the back of a turtle um so yeah i'll uh, i'll have him he, he streams on twitch and he has a great instagram where he does art i'll have that linked in the show notes as well so with all the business out of the way uh thank you again to all three of those guys who without this without them this show would not have happened um let, actually i had a clip i was i kind of wanted your just to just to uh, maybe jump right into here. Let's see if I can find this lady. Sure. Um, what the hell was her name? Uh, Sabine, uh, Sabine Hoffensfelder. I think she's maybe Dutch or something or some kind of Swiss or something. But she has a um, science channel. And she the title of this video is Flat Earth Science. Wrong but not stupid. And uh, I, mm. she, she kind of makes some assertions about what flat earthers believe. And I wanted to play this and maybe you can correct her or say, like, actually, that's true. Sure. I, as many people in science communication, am fascinated with flat earthers. Here you have a group of people steadfastly rejecting evidence that's right in their face. By the way, this woman is wearing a cutoff jean vest or jacket I'm not, or maybe a dress. I don't know. But it's got cutoff sleeves and it's got denim pockets. It's great. Um, I wish everybody could see it. One of the the downsides of not doing videos, you don't get to see stuff like this. Today I want to tell you why I nevertheless think flat earthers are neither stupid nor anti-scientific. Most of them anyway. More importantly, I also want to explain why you should not be embarrassed if you can't remember how we know that the earth is round. But first I have to tell you what flat earthers actually believe and how they got there. The most popular flat earth model is that of a disk where the north pole is in the middle and the south pole is an ice wall on the edge of the disk. Is that true? Well, I mean, this is already opening up a huge can of worms um, because 
there are different flavors of fat flat earthers fat earthers <laughs> there's different <laughs> flavors of right yeah exactly uh there's different flavors of all this you know of geocentrism and stuff and so i kind of feel like for myself personally that's generally how i tend to look at things but that's not really the complete picture and just that in of itself there's so much to talk about and get into so i understand that most people would bring that up uh first and foremost but there are several schools of thought pretty much and i'm yeah. still open to new information as well the the flat earth people i've talked to student right yeah i would consider myself the same in in all regards like uh, you, you always want to keep mm -hmm. the, your mind open enough to have your opinion changed when new information comes to light so to say but right i uh <clears throat> i've talked to enough flat earth people that it, it almost it's almost like a um kind of like how there's so many different denominations and sects of Christianity. Like flat earth seems to be mm. the same thing. There's, there's various camps. Uh, That's right. Um, there, I mean, th there's a huge tangent or not tangent, but I, I, a huge chunk of flat earth that seems to be very Christian based Bible believing. Uh, there's right. another, there's a, another sect that seems to be more into like aliens and we're in some kind of science experiments like a Petri dish. Um, yeah. So it's, it's yeah, a, exactly. Yeah, it's like um, you know the the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the you know Baptists. It's kind of like they they all have their own uh, interpretation of the data, I suppose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right. Um, okay, okay, I'll keep going with this here. But not all flat earthers sign up to this. An alternative is the so-called bipolar model, where both poles are on the disk, surrounded by water that's held by a rim of something, maybe ice or rocks. And a minority of flat earthers believe that Earth is really an infinite plane. Minecraft. They mostly agree, though, that gravity does not exist, and that the observations we normally attribute to gravity come instead from the upward acceleration of the flat Earth. As a consequence, the apparent gravitational acceleration is the same everywhere on Earth. I explained some weeks ago that this is in conflict with evidence. We know that the gravitational acceleration is most definitely not the same everywhere on Earth. Well, that's that's a lot to unpack there. But is the is that true that most flat earthers believe that the Earth is up is rapidly accelerating upwards? I would say no, that that's a, a misconception. I have heard that before from people. Um, and there are flat earth groups that basically are um, propaganda agencies, for the lack of a better word. So just because you're exploring flat earth and just because you might be interested in geocentrism, it doesn't mean that the information you're going to be looking at or the people you're going to be reading, um, you know, their work or whatever there's uh you should be skeptical if you're looking into flat earth and you should be skeptical of all of these different models and to be completely honest having a model is a problem in and of itself um i think about the whole idea that the map is not the terrain so even though you have a map no matter how accurate your map might be it's not actually the terrain itself and so i think that there's a problem in and of itself just trying to find an accurate model um, but there are things to be said regarding uh, the gravity situation and what gravity actually is. I personally do not think that way. Um, I think gravity has been spun and there is like an agenda behind um, how we currently are taught about gravity. But from what I've heard, most flat earthers think that gravity largely has to do with density and buoyancy. So, you know, none of us think that um, 
that we don't live in a place where uh, there's no weight behind anything. And, you know, we, we understand how the physical world works, right? I know that if I drop this pen in my hand, it's going to fall to the ground. I'm not under the assumption that it's because the earth is rising or something, that that's why things fall to the ground. Um, it more has to do with um, the density and the weight behind these different objects and materials that we deal with on a daily basis. So I can see why she said that because that is part of the narrative that is put out there, but that's not what I think personally. And most flat earthers I've talked to, they don't think that way either. Yeah, I guess maybe just to backtrack to what you said earlier, I'm I'm curious mm. about who are the shills and who are the uh, the real guys. So there's Eric Dubay, right, who famously mm-hmm. was booked uh to be on Joe Rogan to debate Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson backed out of that. Mm-hmm. Um there's uh, Flat Earth Dave, or Fed, as his acronym. Uh, he was on uh, Booberry and Lavish's Behind the Schemes. He's reached out to me mm-hmm. a couple times to come on this show. Um, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. he's... I don't know if he's like an opportunist, but I definitely think he seems... There's some kind of weird... Uh, well, the fact that he's his acronym is Fed, I think, tells you all you need to know there. <laughs> and then there's... Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of... There's the... Was it Mark Sargent? Yeah. That guy yep. seems like a moron to me. I don't know. Um, Dubay seems right. has more convincing arguments from what I've seen from Dubay. I don't know who's who's who would you go to? Who would you say of like a like a main not mainstream, but as far as the um, I guess founding fathers would be a bad way to phrase it too. But you know the the big flat Earth guys. Who would be ones that you trust, and who would be ones you would say maybe don't take their information wholeheartedly? You know, um, personally, I usually just don't put all of my eggs in one basket. So I think with a lot of the researchers I do follow, um, I try and just take what resonates and then leave the rest behind, you know? So there are people that I don't necessarily trust wholeheartedly, but I've learned certain things from them over the years. Um, Eric Dubay was the first person that I came across that was talking about it. And this was in 2014 and I was following his blog and he was talking about secret societies and, you know, all sorts of things um, that I was really interested in, symbolism and whatnot. And he was the first person that I had ever even heard, you know, discuss this in a serious way. He posted a blog post and I was like, I can't believe this guy's talking about this now. And it was so foreign and strange to me that I did not accept it like most people. And when he released his first book, he put out a book. Basically, it has like you know, 200 proofs of flat earth or something like that. Yeah. He did and, a rap uh, song I, called 200 proofs. Uh, Eric Dubay has a bunch okay. of rap music out that I've recently discovered on BitChute. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, I downloaded that PDF and I was reading it on my way to India and I was in a plane. And so it was really interesting to be reading a book about flat earth. And then I was right there by uh, the the window and I'm just looking out and I'm like, man, it doesn't look round to me, actually. It does look flat. It almost feels like we're in some sort of, it's like a big container or something like this. And um, I started thinking about this while reading it, and it was kind of blowing my mind. And then when I landed in India, this was the craziest synchronicity. When I landed in India, a young guy uh, approached me when we were just walking around Mumbai. And Indian people are very friendly. If you're a Westerner, they want to know, you know, what your story is and how much money you make and things like that. And this kid just started talking to me. We struck up a conversation. We ended up going to a little tea house sort of thing. And um, without me prompting anything, we started talking about his spiritual religious background. 
and he told me that he has a guru and that his guru teaches the flat earth model and that we live on a stationary plane. And then he started going through a couple of proofs and he said, you know, most people in the Western world have no idea that this is the case, that we live in a geocentric reality. And that completely blew my mind. And I just wow. told him, I'm like, whoa, I'm like reading a book about this right now. And to him, it was just normal, basically. And you could tell he was excited to kind of even maybe talk about it a little bit because he was aware that a lot of people in the West um, don't don't know anything about this. So I thought that was fascinating. So once I had that conversation with him, I think I started taking it way more seriously. Yeah, there's I I could um, I won't bore you with the details, but I've, yeah, there's certain synchronistic moments that have happened in my life where I start looking into something or I start just thinking about something, and you know, within the day, uh, somebody else brings it up to me and an idea that uh, hadn't really been ever crossed my mind, and then within all of a sudden now somebody else is talking to me about it. So yeah, right, right. Yeah. So um, Eric Dubay definitely has some great stuff out there. Um, this guy named Martin Kenny. He's really interesting. I come at things from a more symbolic sort of perspective, as does he. So some of his work has been really interesting. Um, some of Santos Bonacci's work uh, with um, the Flat Earth has been kind of interesting, too. And so those are some of the people that I used to look into um, kind of years ago. But I can't say I have anyone right now that I'm like, definitely go to this guy because he knows what's going on with everything. I think a lot of these researchers kind of have small pieces to the puzzle, if you will. But I don't know if there's anyone I can wholeheartedly just say, like, this is the man right here. Because I think, too, there's still a lot of mysterious stuff about Flat Earth that we just do not understand. And so, or just the nature of reality, basically. So I'm way more right. of the opinion that one of the reasons why heliocentrism and this solar system that we're taught about as children, one of the reasons why I think it's really dangerous is because it's saying that, hey, we have all the answers to everything, including what the cosmos is all about, including what's going on above you know, your head that way. And so some of life's grandest, greatest questions, most mysterious questions that you can ask, scientism um, says that they have the answers to a lot of these things, and they don't. And so under my personal viewpoint, with geocentrism, I still think there's a lot of room for discovery, personally. I, I don't think we have it all figured out. But what I do know is that it's not the model that we grew up with. Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely seems like there's something happening in the night sky. I, I just put in the uh, in the chat room here, uh, for anybody that's uh, listening live, a uh, tweet from Owen Benjamin. Uh, mm -hmm. And he said, I highly recommend getting military grade night vision to look at the sky without light pollution. A lot is happening up there. And uh, That's Dean, right. Dean Reiner uh, had replied to that tweet and he said, yeah, I can attest there's because he lives out kind of in the boonies more so than I do because I'm, I'm kind of close to an airport. And mm -hmm. he said, uh, but I used to live in places with a lot less light pollution. And you would see I would see shooting stars all the time, but I never used uh, night vision goggles or anything. But uh, yeah, Dean, Dean actually test. There's a ton of shit moving around out there. So what is all that? Totally. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. Um, there is a lot more going on above your head than you would realize. And um, when I first heard about night vision goggles, I actually bought a pair. And this was maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or eight years ago or something like that. And so I had a pair of military grade night vision goggles, third generation. And the first night I looked into the night sky in the city, by the way, um, 
I saw a, a triangular craft, and some people refer to that as the TR-3B, if anyone wants to look that up. And so I was skywatching pretty heavily for several years um, with my night vision, and I saw so many different types of things. It's kind of crazy. Um, orbs and little balls of light and uh, groupings of like whatever they were flying together. And um, that even kind of opened me up to start seeing uh, naked eye sightings as well. So over the years, I ended up seeing a lot of different things. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. If anyone truly wants to see what might be referred to as a flying saucer or UFO or whatever, definitely get yourself a really solid pair of night vision goggles and you'll be amazed at, at what you'll see up there. But, you know, to be honest, I still don't know what any of these things are. And so even though I've experienced a lot of things and have had kind of strange encounters with some of these objects, um, I almost have more questions than answers. And I would say that some of the things that people see are actually like organic living things. They kind of um, remind me of almost like sky organisms or something along those lines, that there actually might be some sort of ecosystem, you know, above our heads that most people really just, again, aren't aware of. But when you look through night vision, you start seeing things that remind you of living organisms, actually, more so than, you know, than a, a flying saucer or some sort of craft yeah, I think that's Dean, made out of metal or whatever. Dean compared it to like a bacteria or, or like, a, like a coral reef, like the, the ocean life and the, the sky yeah. life almost seem similar. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, that, exactly. That Owen Benjamin video, and I'll put this in the show notes. The the one I put in the chat, he he um, you see this just quick um dash of like a a big light beam, and it and it just moves and stays stationary, and it looks like a star, mm. and it just stops moving, and it looks like a star there. Totally, which is kind of yep. uh, fascinating. I've seen those before. <laughs> yeah, freaky, definitely. Um, let's see. What? Uh, okay. Do you want to? Can we can we listen to uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and and uh, Bill Nye for a minute here? I think this might be a good yeah, place of course, to yeah, whatever. You is got. the Earth flat or round? Um, is this a trick question? <laughs> is the Earth flat or round? It's round. Okay, oh. now let's see. How do we go about proving that? Bill Nye has the worst takes. Or the, the worst proof. Like, my favorite was when he said that the proof that the uh, that we went to the moon was all the paperwork that was generated. It'd be so hard to fake oh, all that right. paperwork. I was like, that's your number one go-to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, there is, like, um, I don't know. I've, I've talked to Alex Jones briefly, and I've talked to David Icke for a good hour and a half. And oh, nice. those guys I would consider um, very based, quote-unquote. But they both believe the moon landing was real, mm -hmm. which is fascinating right. to me. Yep. That's a hard one for a lot of people to give up. Yeah, it's it's like dinosaurs, right? Which I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But. <laughs> it's a hard thing for me to even start talking about because there are so many proofs that the Earth is round. It's difficult to know where to start. B.O.B., the rapper, I have a video letter to him, the transcript of which is in letters from an astrophysicist. That rose to that level of attention because he started saying, I'm using laws of math and physics to show Earth is flat. Those are fighting words. You're going to say using math and physics? That is an alarm to the geekiverse that we must rise up and, and counteract these forces from the dark side that are... Oh, God. <laughs> what the, 
forces mm-hmm. from the dark side. I, uh, you know, it, I'm sure you know the the history behind that Bob versus Neil deGrasse Tyson thing, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, for anybody listening that doesn't, I'll play a clip of that uh, from the nightly show on Comedy Central, the short-lived uh, spinoff of the Daily Show, which was not good. Um, Bob, if you're looking for the curve, you gotta call Sir Mix a lot. That is a man who did not deny science. He did not. Am I right? I'm not lying about that. Okay. Anyway, so this thing went viral, and even world-renowned super scientists in front of the night. It showed Neil deGrasse Tyson got involved and refuted some of B.O.B.'s retrograde nonsense, which prompted B.O.B. to release a diss track called Flatline. Here's the taste. Neil Tyson need to loosen up his vest. They probably write that man one hell of a check. Flatline, flatline. You got me once, but that died. Oh, this just got real, y'all. Uh oh. I'm gonna tell you, looks like we've got ourselves a code red science emergency. So I'm gonna have to do something I rarely do. I gotta hit the science panic button. Science emergency defense program initiated. Science emergency defense program initiated. Oh my god. Science emergency defense program initiated. So then Neil Tyson comes out, does the famous mic drop. Uh, I guess he was trying to do a rap song, but it was more like spoken word and didn't rhyme or anything. It was terrible. But I find that interesting because, let's see, when did that come out? That was seven years ago on Comedy Mm -hmm. Central. This video from Big Think is two years ago. That rose Mm -hmm. to that level of attention because he started saying, I am using laws of math and physics to show Earth is flat. Those are fighting words. You're going to say using math and physics? That is an alarm to the geekiverse. An alarm to the geekiverse. I guess that's not quite the same as a science emergency bell, but they're using the same type of, uh, I don't know what you call it. I just want to point out this video is titled Three Scientists School Flat Earthers on the Evidence. Uh, Bill Nye is not a scientist. Is he? I mean, and then what kind of science are they practicing? You know, are they really using the scientific method? What what does science even, what does it mean these days? You know, um, so that's a whole sort of rabbit hole in and of itself is, is the kind of science. We choose truth over facts. <laughs> yeah. Um, the kind of science that they're actually practicing, you know, is it more of, um, is it more just protocol? You know, these guys are, their hands are tied behind their back. If you're a scientist at a university or at some sort of corporation or what have you, um, you basically are just following orders with everything. And so um, you can't question um, the methodology. You can't question, you know, what others have said before you. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to get that grant. You're not going to get that promotion. You're not going to be working there, basically. So um, scientism is the new religion, right? Uh, the scientists in white lab coats. To many people, this is the new priest class, essentially. And um, I actually saw Neil deGrasse Tyson in Portland, Oregon, a handful of years ago. And he was doing a tour, and a friend of mine bought tickets, and she wasn't able to go. And so she asked if I wanted to go, and I said yes. <laughs> and it was really an interesting scene just to see all of these people treating him like he's a rock star and scientists do science 
<laughs> you didn't say anything interesting at all the whole entire time. I was like waiting for something to happen and it was so boring. And um, there was also, you could tell that he had a couple of people, they're called shells, where somebody has a, a predetermined script or something to ask him so that he can dunk on you know, whatever it is uh, the person brought up. So someone brought up Flat Earth or someone brought up something along these lines. And you could just tell, in my opinion, he just had a script already in mind. And then, of course, uh, to debunk it or to uh, make Flat Earthers look bad or whatever. So, and so it wasn't open questions it. is what you're saying. Like, it's not like anybody could get up and ask a question. It seemed like it was all pre- it was uh, supposedly open questions, and I'm sure there were maybe legit questions, you know, from actual audience members. But from my hunch, my personal sort of gut instinct with everything was that there were a couple of people who were in line who yeah. were uh, basically they're, they're plants, you know, in order to right. facilitate whatever conversation or whatever argument he wanted to put out there. And so that's kind of what I picked up from it personally. Yeah, but I it was very cult like. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing was very cult-like, I thought. So nobody asked him about the bubbles in space. <laughs> I can't remember uh, what people actually brought up, to be honest. Uh, I just remember that he had the opportunity to um, to talk about Flat Earth briefly, just so he can shit all over it, pretty much. And, you know, honestly, Flat Earth, too, as like a term or a label is so bad. I really wish... I mean, I don't really care in certain ways, because I'm just doing my thing, and I'm not super concerned with any kind of movement taking off or, you know, people coming around to this. So I've made uh, peace around. with the fact, <laughs> exactly. I've made peace with the fact that most people aren't ever going to um, get interested in this or um, anything along those lines. So however people want to spend their time, that's totally fine with me. But uh, I've started to completely distance myself literally from using the word flat earth. And so what do you, what do you call it instead? I usually call it geocentrism. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's a safer way of talking about it. And uh, Flat Earth, it just has all of this baggage with it pretty much. And so I generally don't use that. Um, I generally say either geocentrism or like uh, I talk about an Earth-based sort of cosmology or um, whatever. I think, you know, maybe there's going to be some new term that kind of comes around that I feel more comfortable with or whatever. But Flat Earth as is, it's just, um, I don't know. I, I think it's been tarnished in, in so many ways over the years that I'd rather not be labeled as a flat earther, even right. though I'm here. It's kind of like libertarian. <laughs> about it with you. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like I, I used to refer to myself as a libertarian, but then like the New Hampshire and freaking Wisconsin libertarian parties are all arguing on Twitter, like the official pages about the age of consent and why that exists. And you're like, well, do I really mm. want to call myself a libertarian anymore? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah exactly. I get that. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll continue on here. Maybe maybe this sure. will be interesting. We must rise up and and counteract these forces from the dark side that are out there. There are proofs all around you. It is not difficult to know that the Earth is round. So let's start from the simple to the slightly more complicated. One of the things you can see yourself with a pair of binoculars is if you actually go out to a lake and there are boats on that lake. The farther away a boat is, the more the bottom of the boat will disappear, and you'll basically just see the mast of the boat. And as a boat goes farther and farther away, the last thing you will see is the very top of the mast of that boat. And that's because the boat is actually going over the horizon that's curved. 
Now, is that true? Because I tried that and I just lost it in the fog. I tried it with a telescope, like um, a telescope uh, on a beach in South Carolina. And I just right, lost the so, thing in the fog. It never actually, but that, that could just could be, you know, a user error on my part. Yeah, no, I mean, my understanding is that if you have, and I used to have really good binoculars and uh, I used to have some just optical equipment that was pretty nice. And um, it's really interesting that when I've done it before, I mean, I've seen the ship still. I, I saw the body of the ship, you know, how far it was away from the beach or whatever. Um, I'm not really sure, but I've seen many videos. I actually used to have a, a camera called the P900. Have you heard of it? It sounds like a microphone. No, I haven't. Yeah, it's just a super, super telephoto, digital telephoto camera. And so that is like the main camera that, at least back in the day, back in the day, a handful of years ago, uh, people were buying that camera and the zoom on it was insane. And so I bought it to zoom in on the moon and different stars and planets and things like that. And it was amazing because... The detail, you could literally with this camera, it was very, very slight, but you could see the rings of Saturn with this camera. And um, I used it for a few different proofs uh, when I was wanting to kind of, you know, figure some of this stuff out on my own. And everything that I did personally, um, it, what I received back, what I saw through the lens, what I saw through the camera, it to me reinforced the, the whole uh, flat earth sort of narrative personally. And so, um, I did take it to the coast and there's a few little things you can do. Um, you know, really simple sort of experiments just to kind of maybe satisfy your curiosity with all this stuff. But when I did it, I saw, I saw the ship. I did not see it go over a curve personally. But, yeah. You know, I just lost mine. To, and like in uh mine just kind of faded out. I never saw it go lower. It was a sailboat. I was looking at, I never saw the mast ever like where that was visible and the base of the boat wasn't, it just kind of disappeared into the fog. And I've noticed the same thing flying in airplanes where you can't really see a curve or I know you're not high enough to see a curve is what they say. Um, but you, but you, you're all the way you're, you're as far as you can see, the only end you see is, um, moisture density or, or some kind of, um, like, uh, right. like fog, like that. It, it doesn't look like it ends except for where there's, um, what would be particle debris that block your vision after a certain amount of space, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel as though I have not seen the curve. Um, and so and that's just, you know, that's one lane, obviously, with this whole entire conversation. So I've kind of found that over the years, that was something that I was interested in, maybe early on. And then later on, I started becoming way more interested in, say, like, um, the solar side of everything of why the sun has been emphasized, why they say that we live in a solar system, why we're taught about a solar system growing up, and this whole idea of solar worship and uh, heliocentrism and uh, why this might be the case that the sun has been promoted as heavily as it is. And it's not just a, um, it's not an organic thing necessarily. That To me, this has kind of just been a long-term sort of agenda. And I'm not claiming to know who has promoted it or what the deal is, but um, it seems as though we've been conditioned to be heliocentrists and that heliocentrists actually are much better slaves, essentially, and that uh, there's a lot more that can be done 
from a programming sort of perspective and a control perspective um, when you have people worshiping the sun, actually. That's kind of one of my conclusions. Um, but when you start looking at all these proofs, like the curve, is the curve there or isn't it there? Things like that. Eventually, you're going to find that a lot of uh, the proofs out there it's going to kind of lead you to wanting to know more about the sun, actually, and the sun's role in all of this stuff and uh, and why, you know, uh, we've been taught that the sun is literally at the center of everything. Um, I'm it not is sure weird that the sun ever... and the moon are the same freaking size from uh, where we're sitting, dude. yet one supposedly, you know, a million times further away or whatever the hell. Exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And so to me, um, what it seems has happened with the sun specifically is that just over time, um, at least the written material out there regarding the size of the sun and the distance of the sun has just grown like exponentially over time. And so this seems to be the trajectory that uh, if you look at older documentation and, you know, obviously science, real science is always constantly evolving, right? And so, uh, but when you look at older documents regarding the size of the sun and how far it is away, um, the further back you go, the smaller it is and the closer it is. And so nowadays, it just seems like everything seems to be magnified so that the sun is supposed to be this, you know, the, the preeminent sort of like luminary or star in the sky. And when you look outside and you acknowledge the sun and it's obviously incredibly powerful and I have a reverence, you know, for the sun as well and all the luminaries and all the constellations and all the stars and everything else. But you start realizing that the system that we've been taught is, is really um, it's very limited and it's not actually it's not accurate. You know, it's not accurate to reality. And so the way I've been kind of putting it and thinking about it is that most people think that we live in the system where the sun is kind of like the king and the sun is the end all be all sort of um, star in the sky that everybody has worshipped since the beginning of time because it gives us so much. Um, but that's actually not the case. So there have been lunar traditions as well, and there's still lunar traditions today. I mean, in Judaism, as an example, it's like their holy days are based on the moon. In Islam, their holy days are based on the moon. Um, here in the West and under scientism, everything is sun-based. So it's like the the 12... 12 month calendar as an example the number 12 is a solar number um, and even astrology astrology is the path of the ecliptic which is the path of the sun there's 12 signs in astrology most people follow a 12 sign system and so what you're dealing with a lot of the ways we keep time in the west it's all solar based other cultures have a lunar based system who invented the but... sundial oh man i don't know i don't know Look it up. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, that yeah, just yeah. made me curious because that is that would be a solar way of telling time throughout the day, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so one thing, though, that I've come across is that we live in what I refer to as like a trinity system and that there's one thing that most people are never shown or taught. They never look down this rabbit hole. Um, and it's a huge key to understanding this whole entire flip and this whole entire switch. And it has to do with the Northern sky. It has to do with what's re referred to as the world axis. It has to do with the North pole and it has to do with uh, the pole star, which is the North star. And so there's a lot of esoteric artwork. I'm not sure how much you've seen of my channel or my work or anything else, but I've broken it down 
in a few presentations if people are interested. But um, you look at like some Freemasonic tracing boards and um, just esoteric kind of um, arcane artwork from various lodge systems, and you'll see that they ac- actually acknowledge a Trinity system. There's a third thing. And so there's a lunar, there's usually lunar symbolism, solar symbolism, and what I refer to as polar symbolism, which is connected to the polar tradition, as in the North Pole and the Pole Star. And this idea that the heavens revolve around a central star, which is the Pole Star. And so um, the whole thing about all of this, if you don't mind, I'm just going to go on this quick tangent, but the whole thing about everything that we're talking about with flat Earth and geocentrism is the idea of spin. And so we can acknowledge that there's some sort of spin going on. So from the perspective of Earth, it's the spinning of the heavens. And what the heliocentrists have taught us, what scientism has taught us, what modern science has taught us, is that the heavens aren't spinning, we're spinning. So everything hinges on this idea of spin. And so um, to me, that's just like a really big key to understand. And so if you're just standing in a field, you know, and you're looking at the stars go around Polaris, the pole star, um, if you use your senses, you would think that you're on a stationary body and it's the heavens that are moving around us. It's the heavens that are moving around this world axis. Um, But if you read a science book, it's saying that the earth is spinning and that the earth is a ball. And so all of their science and all of their numbers and everything they try and teach us and promote about uh, heliocentrism is basically trying to convince you of the fact that the heavens aren't spinning, you are spinning. You disrespected science. (laughs) And uh, this creates a certain psychological effect on people. Um, It's actually not holistic. So geocentrism to me is way when you really get down to it and you start breaking down what it means and represents it's a return to earth symbolism and uh it's a return to um self in many ways i would say and it's actually a more holistic paradigm it's more of a holistic way of looking at everything and heliocentrism and the solar system and everything else it it truly throws all of that off and it's a complete inversion of things and so my personal opinion is there have been large stretches of time where people actually were polar in nature and that they had a reverence for the sacred center on this plane, which is the North Pole and its function in that this is where symbolically this is the point of pivot for the heavens. So everything revolves around this cosmic axis. Um, so the, That's the sure what it looks like when you look out at night and the yeah. fact that the stars have been stationary for as long as recorded history. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so, um, you know, the churning of a wheel is a great metaphor for the turning of the cosmos, basically. And what we're taught now is that the cosmos isn't turning, we're turning. So it's a complete inversion of everything from polar to solar, basically. So that's kind of what I like to say is that we don't, to me, it doesn't seem like we live in a solar system. We actually live in a polar system. It's a polar based system. So now you got my brain kind of, my gears, my brain kind of churning here. Nice. Bill O'Reilly was the first guy on cable news to promote the geocentric model then because he had the no spin zone. <laughs> uh, but well uh, done. I, I did find, uh, according to Wikipedia, the book of knowledge, a math- mathematician and astronomer Theodosius of Bithynia in the year, 
around 100 BC, invented the universal sundial, and it was adopted mm. by the Romans, invented by the Greeks, apparently. Mm, uh, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. But uh, while, go ahead and, um, I mean, obviously it'll be linked in the show notes for this episode and everything, but go ahead and tell people where they can find uh, the work you're doing and all that. Yeah, right on. Awesome. Um, so symbolicstudies.com is my website, so you can pretty much find everything there. Um, but I would really encourage people to check out my YouTube page, which is Symbolic Studies, and especially the live link, because I've been doing more live presentations as of late. And so over the last couple of years, I've, what I used to do was follow each sign in the sign itself and create symbolic uh, breakdown videos about each astrological sign. And I did that for a couple of years. So I have many videos for all of the signs, Aries we're currently in right now. I have videos on Taurus, et cetera, all 12 signs. And uh, after a while, I just realized I'm like, man, astrology is a solar based system. And I am not a solar based person. That's not my cosmology. I, I think the sun has been really overemphasized for a lot of different reasons. And so starting a handful of months ago, I'm like, I really need to just start exploring more of this other stuff, more of the geocentric stuff, things relating to the pole star, which is the guiding star. And uh, even the dippers play a big role in a geocentric sort of cosmology because uh, the dippers revolve very closely around the pole star, their uh, circumpolar constellations. And I was just blown away to find all of this esoteric information relating to the northern sky. And uh, it's, it's really, it's an important thing once you start getting into geocentrism because um, if if you're dealing with a geocentric people, they have a reverence for the northern sky. That's been kind of my conclusion and my understanding of things. And a lot of symbolism that we're dealing with now in today's world, um, a lot of symbols that people attribute to the sun as an example. So the main symbol for the sun in astrology is a circle with a dot inside of it. So that's the circumpunct. This symbol used to be a geocentric earth-based symbol. And so I found several examples of this where there were symbols that were more earth-based in nature. And then over time, they were flipped or inverted, if you want to say that, and they were turned into solar-based symbols. And so we're kind of dealing with symbolic paradigms, essentially. Um, And so I'm really interested in this shift for like a lot of different reasons. The, The shift from geocentrism to heliocentrism and some of the symbols that followed suit. And so, and also how this affected our psychology and our sort of spiritual outlook or spiritual framework, it it completely changed everything, basically, in my opinion. So to me, heliocentrism really does feel almost like a a slave religion, pretty much. So the, would you say, so I guess like what can, I guess I should ask you this up front, but what camp do you fall into when it comes to flat earth or the geocentric uh, model is that does that to you prove is proof of a divine creator or like in and what does that mean like in a biblical sense or what I know it's a lot yeah but. so I mean to me when I think of a divine creator um, I I think we're uh, active participants in that and that so we're we're divine creators in and of ourselves you know what I mean and so I don't have this idea of a god outside of self. And so the closest thing to God to me would be the natural world or just the cosmos in, in, in general, you know? So to me, I look at when people use um, these metaphors to explain what God is, I just think it's, it's all around us. 
and everything that we know in this reality is part of you know the divine creator if you want to put it that way and so i don't have this idea of an actual literal deity and i tend to internalize mythology as well so when i think of isis or something like that or some sort of goddess you know from oh, uh, world mythology like <laughs> <laughs> no but that that's really interesting though there's a lot to say about that and why they named it that but when i think of like the goddess isis or any other gods or whatever i tend to internalize that and i tend to bring it close to home and it's more local for me so it's like my mother is a goddess you know my girlfriend is a goddess and so every woman is a goddess you know and all of these archetypes all of these deities and and, and gods and whatever it's like i'm part of them you know um in fact we we are active participants in world mythology and so um with geocentrism though what i've learned over time is that um it basically is it's so much more holistic and what you end up learning is that this is center stage, whether people want to acknowledge that or not. A lot of people have a really hard time with that because they think it's arrogant or they think you're being short-sighted or they, they think you're being naive or something like that. But what we live on, what we experience here, like this is center stage. Like this is it. There, there's no other earths. There, there's no other... Um, there's a whole thing right now with multiverses and that, um, Marvel has made several movies about multiverses. Yeah. You'll notice that Rick a lot of science fiction movies, exactly. You'll notice that a lot of science fiction movies these days are like obsessed with multiverses and stuff. I think, a, you know, mainstream media is propaganda, but especially science fiction. Science fiction is a propaganda genre Men in black. so that you... Yeah, totally, dude. Men in Black, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, I think is a really good one for a few different reasons. But That's people movie, get their... Oh, God, I love it, dude. I, I love Kubrick. So I love him, but I could acknowledge that he was a propagandist for right. sure. Um, and so um, most people's idea of what space is and what uh, Earth is literally comes from movies. You know, and so... Um, and a lot of it is just basically saying like, hey, you live just like um, uh, Carl Sagan. You live on a pale blue dot. You know, the universe is so huge and so expansive that we're just on this like grain of sand. And um, there's a lot of basically kind of like nihilistic thoughts about Earth being completely, you know, it was created, uh, you know, in a very chaotic sort of random way. Everything is happenstance. Your life doesn't matter. Um, you know, all of these different things, they, they kind of want to convince us of like a dead sort of um, system that we live in. Yeah. And geocentrism, in my opinion, it flips all of that on its head. It's actually the complete opposite that, you know, we should be privileged. We should we should acknowledge the fact that we're like lucky to live here um, and that this life is a gift. And even with all of the hurdles or headaches or conflicts that we might go through, you know, um, what we live on, the earth underneath our soil, it should be revered more than the sun that's in the sky. And so to me, that's kind of been the flip is that uh, it's almost kind of a subliminal sort of thing as well, that the sun is this end all be all luminary. Um, Meanwhile, the earth underneath our feet, you know, um, that we actually like grow our food from and, you know, everything else, it's kind of just been swept aside in so many different ways, in my in my opinion. Right. But I mean, so, you, you kind of need to respect like, well, not need to, but 
both of them are necessary, right? You can't have the 100%. plants wouldn't grow without the photosynthesis from the sun, if that's how, how that actually works, which I believe it is. Um, but yeah, sure. the, the Bible exactly. said that the angels even envy, right? The angels envy um, how lucky humans are to be humans or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. For there's, sure. There's a lot. Of, I don't. But the my thing with like the multiverse theory and. Uh, I feel like there's way more dimensions below and above us. We might be in like the mid-level plane, like there's higher and lower dimensions. But with the multiverse theory, to me, it makes sense. And and in in a you know however big the universe is, if there are other planes or planets where things are inhabited, inhabited, it just makes sense to me that in an infinite amount of time with an infinite deity or an infinite god that is capable of anything. This idea that he would just make Earth and that's it seems kind of silly to me. It seems like like he would make an infinite amount of creations. Well, there's, there's more to it than just what we've been taught. And so that's another thing too, is that there's, I'm pretty convinced that there is hidden land. And so, um, that's another thing that the globe kind of, uh, does by design is that it seals off the North and the South pole under, under yeah. that model. Let's say Eddie so, Bravo thing. He's like, if you're on a ball, man, you're nowhere. You're stuck. They don't want you to know there's more land out there. Yeah. Totally, totally. So there, I'm convinced that there's more land. I think there's more land north, and I think there's more land south. How does it actually end? I think we live more in a field, basically. Emerald so, bird. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that there's just more going on there. I think there's probably stuff going on underneath our feet, you know, underground, things like that. And like I was saying earlier, there seems to be some sort of like uh, ecosystem above our heads as well. And so I think that it kind of keeps us in a uh, box in a lot of ways. Uh, heliocentrism does and, and the globe earth sort of model. And so they don't want us to be aware of a lot of these things. And also too, um, there are other dimensions like literally um, around us right now. You know what I mean? So it's like, what dimension do we actually currently live in? I can't really say, but I'm under the opinion that, you know, we can just only see a small sliver of reality. You know, um, we can see a certain band of color, you know, the electromagnetic spectrum is what we can perceive. And then even then there's animals that have better vision than us, better, you know, everything than us and weaker versions of, of things of some of our senses and everything I mean, like else. Dolphins so, and bass got like sonar or some shit. Yeah. All, all yeah, kinds of yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. So I think that we're able to see and experience a small sliver of what's going on here and that there's probably many, many crazy exotic things going on around us, but uh, we're just, you know, we don't have the senses to actually perceive it. I'm and absolutely so the, convinced the whole, that psychedelics can let you tune into some of those things going on around you, whether that's a good oh, or bad yeah, thing, man. I won't necessarily say, but. <laughs> 100%. No, I'm right there with you uh, for sure. Uh, but the thing I was going to say regarding the multiverse is heliocentrism and scientism tends to promote going to other places or not being concerned with where you live right now. And so that's what I've noticed is I've noticed that there are so many movies about going to other planets because this one's going to be destroyed. There's so many movies about this multiverse thing and going to other universes. There's a lot of movies about, you know, ETs and aliens and um, that they're kind of in many ways, mythologically, they've kind of taken over as like perhaps one of the, you know, one of the bigger deities here. You know, uh, people revere aliens now. They're kind of looked at as gods, basically, right? And um, when you watch like ancient aliens and things like that, we kind of treat them like gods. So under heliocentrism, I've just noticed a pattern where a lot of the things that are taught under that model 
teach you to go outside of self and teach you to value the external. And uh, it, there's actually a very sort of clear kind of thread with, I would say, communism or communitarianism with heliocentrism as well. They want you to be concerned about the other. They want you to uh, be validated by others. They want you to go to experts. You know, they don't want you to do anything without getting permission or what have you. To me, geocentrism, it's really, it's a return to sovereignty. It's a return to self you know, your own power and your own relationship and especially perhaps your own senses. What do you sense about this place versus what you're learning, you know, through some mainstream outlet or what have you. So that was the main thing I was going to say. Yeah. 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 Regarding the the multiverse thing. Um, Well, actually, yeah, I, I, I have more questions, but before I start us down another rabbit hole, let me continue with this lady. Cause I feel like, or sorry, not yeah, this, please. Well, this is a lady. Um, I think I can't, I want to assume, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Rio back with the big thing. And as a boat goes farther and farther away, the last thing you will see is the very top of the mast of that boat. And that's because the boat is actually going over the horizon that's curved. And that means that as it goes farther and farther away, you see less and less of the bottom of it and more of the top of that. You can see that with binoculars by an ocean, by a lake. It's really easy. What? Mm. How much fucking money do you have to have to buy an ocean, let alone a lake? <laughs> you just buy an ocean, just buy a lake. Of it what the and fuck? More of the top of that. You can see that with binoculars. Buy an ocean, buy a lake. It's I don't really have that kind easy. of money, lady. That wouldn't happen <laughs> if the earth were flat. You would simply see the boat getting smaller and smaller and smaller as it went farther away, but you'd be able to see the whole thing with the same proportions. Go to the uh, seashore. Mm. Go to a seashore. And figure out why you can't, if you live on the East Coast, figure out why you can't see Spain from the East Coast of North America. Just go uh, to the middle of the Mississippi River and look south. Why can't you see the Louisiana? Why can't you see New Orleans? They call it the Louisiana? I think so. River and look south. Why can't you see the Louisiana? Why can't The Louisiana. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a rebuttal to this? Uh, imp- yeah, I mean, it's funny because I th- this is one of the big hangups with one of my friends uh, in person was this exact same thing that that was his major thing because I thought he would be open minded to it. And it's when I actually cared to talk to people about it, to be honest. And I was more so wanting to um, not necessarily convert people, but people who I thought maybe had a good head on their shoulders. I just wanted to alert them like, Hey, did you know you've been lied to your whole life about this? It's kind of a big deal. Um, and that was his major hangup was this whole thing. And I'm like, dude, I mean, I live in an area right now where, uh, it's the gorge in, um, the Pacific Northwest. And so it's, it's, there's a major river in between basically, uh, what amounts to like very small, like mountain ranges basically. And so it's like, when you go out and you look across the gorge, there's haze, you know, um, when you when you see a major mountain or you're somewhere where you can actually like see a far distance and you know that there's a mountain range in the distance or whatever, there there's buildings or something like that. It's not uncommon to see some sort of like haze or um, whatever. There's atmospheric stuff going on with particulates in the air and whatever. Yeah, so that's my experience. It's like you're. Yeah, so it's like to expect to see Spain or to expect to be able to see across the ocean and, you know, wave to somebody in Russia or whatever. I don't know. To me, it's just kind of like an absurd sort of notion to think that 
that would actually be um, the case. Especially with um, all just the moisture vapor coming up from the ocean itself. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then, like, There's the, a lot the, it's, going on. That's why we so. see the moon, right? The moon when it's closer to Earth or when it's down closer to the horizon looks orange or red because it's going through all mm. the tiny dust and rock particles yeah. that make give it that tint and make it uh, yeah. distort the shape of it. But so obviously you're not going to be able to see a person, you know, on the other side of the ocean or a right, boat or whatever. Right, right, yeah. Totally. Okay, I'll continue here. See what else they got to say. Can't you see New Orleans? What's what's the problem there? Well, then climb a tower or go to the top of a hill or a mountain. And you'll see a little farther, but you will not see to the other side of the earth, places we know to exist. For example, I've been to London. I I can tell you, other people have. I've been to Vancouver, British Columbia. And you cannot see Vancouver, British Columbia from, from Boise, Idaho, let alone from New York City or Toronto or what have you. Then there are some other proofs that are a little more obscure, but they're actually really lovely. And one is to observe what happens during a lunar eclipse. Mm. Now, a lunar eclipse happens when the Earth casts a shadow on the moon. The moon actually goes dark. In fact, if you've seen one, you can actually see the Earth's shadow go across the moon. And when the moon is entirely in the Earth's shadow, the moon looks kind of dark and even kind of red-colored. It's really, really beautiful. What's happening in that case is that the sun is on one side of the Earth. The Earth is in the middle. And it's casting a shadow. The Earth is casting a shadow on the moon. And as the shadow moves across the moon, you'll notice that the shadow is curved. It's round. So something like the sun that's bigger than the Earth and is able to cast a shadow of the Earth on the moon can actually show you the shape of the Earth. Aha, you might say, but could the Earth be a disk? Could it be flat, but it's actually still shaped like a disk, not like a sphere? There was a great... Like, oh, like it's sideways? (laughs) Wait a minute. Uh, Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, well, I don't know. Have you had enough of these people? I have, I think. Uh, I mean, yeah, basically. I mean, because right. I've heard this stuff before, but uh, I mean, anything that you want to play, dude, you should totally do it. Um, and so I'll, I'll just say this regarding eclipses real quick. Um, I did more research on solar eclipses versus lunar eclipses, so um, I can't speak to that as directly as I could the other kind of eclipse. But when I was looking into eclipses in, I think it was 2017, if I'm not mistaken, because that's when we had that great eclipse, I'm pretty sure, um, here on the West Coast, at least, and other places. And there are like traditions that talk about eclipses, not in the way that Western science talks about eclipses. So as an example, um, in the Vedic way of thinking about everything, uh, they believe that there's actually a couple more bodies in the sky that should be acknowledged. And they're called Rahu and Ketu, the head and tail of the dragon. And so Rahu and Ketu play an important role with eclipses and that that is why the eclipse phenomenon even occurs to begin with. And we're just simply taught a uh, an Earth-based lunar and solar sort of way of looking at eclipses but there are other traditions that say that no it's that's not necessarily what's going on that there are literally two other bodies in the sky that are creating uh, the eclipse phenomenon and so um in western astrology people refer to these uh bodies rahu and ketu as the north node and the south node and so um but which basically are are points in the sky basically 
And so there's just there's other ways of looking at everything. That's one of the things that flat earth or geocentrism has taught me is that um, there are just other traditions out there and other cultures that have a different perception of things. And some of what they say is actually going on in the sky is really, really interesting. And so um, there's alternatives, basically, you know, there's alternatives to scientism, there's alternatives to this mainstream way of looking at things. But if that's the only thing you ever consumed growing up, of course, you you just you're not even going to question it, basically, you're never going to question it, because literally, it's been repeated over and over and over and over for you. And so uh, I just thought I would throw that out there is that uh, there are longstanding traditions that have alternative ways of looking at the eclipses. And it's not necessarily the way that uh, a modern scientist uh, would claim that they occur. But they're predictable. That's the thing. There's just different ways of being able to predict them. Okay. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, I did want to talk about uh, at some point, and I guess we can get into it now before I forget, the (laughs) Operation Fishbowl like the starfish prime and all that. I'm sure you're familiar. Um, yeah, I mean, I was more familiar with that, um, years ago, but refresh my memory. Well, I have a, let me see. I got the Wikipedia pulled up here as always. Mm -hmm. Uh, operation fishbowl was a series of high altitude nuclear tests in 1962 that were carried out by the United States as part of the lodger operation Dominic, uh, nuclear test program. Flight test vehicles were designed and manufactured by the Avco corporation. Uh, they basically just blew up a bunch of nuclear and hydrogen bombs in the high upper atmosphere. But everybody always, and I think rightly, is suspicious of why would you call it Operation Fishbowl? But, uh, right. I have a couple clips on that. Until 1957, nothing could go high enough to give a true perspective of where we lived. And that's when everything got strange. The United States and Russia both sent up rockets high enough to take decent pictures. And what they saw scared them a great deal. How do we know they were extremely concerned about the sky? Because the U.S. and Russia immediately started firing nuclear weapons straight up, and they kept firing for the next four years. A few things to keep in mind here. First, this was now 1958. Nuclear weapons were very expensive and hard to come by. These also weren't those nominal yield 20 kiloton toys we used on Hiroshima. This was high kiloton to low megaton, and we couldn't get them up fast enough. And the strangeness continued in other places. In 1959, only a year into the atmosphere bombardment, ten nations, including the United States, made Antarctica off-limits to any colonization. A treaty was put in place, and to this day remains intact. Now, I can't remember what year Admiral Byrd was, but that was the 40s, right? I think that was uh, maybe 47. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, in in this timeline, and I I understand that this might be a lot of speculation on both our parts here, but I'm just curious what how how do you think this went? Did they discover that there was more land, and they just said Antarctica is here, and when in reality it's all the way around most of where we're at, and then what they 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 realize in their first early aerial flight test where they got high enough that we're under a dome or there's or what? Like, how did how did this work? And what? And what? Like, how, in your estimation, how did this all go down? I guess because I I'm yeah. fascinated by all this, but I no one. Like I said, it's all speculation because even the stuff right. they declassify, like they're just telling us what they want us to know about it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. Uh, you know, I think that's a really, really great question. Uh, my understanding is that it, it appears as though the knowledge of us living in a closed sort of system. Um, it, it, I, I feel as though we go through cycles or um, 
there are basically um, times when people are aware that you can't leave. And then I think there's times where people are aware or they think that you can leave and that we live in an open sort of system. Um, Bill Nye has famously said that we live in a closed system. Have you heard that clip before? It's interesting. Oh, he basically sorry, says, yeah, no, um, worries, no worries. I think, I think I have. Um... At one point, he pretty much said something along the lines of like what future generations need to know. And this is really important that we live in a closed system that you're, there's no going out there. You can't, you can't leave this place. And so he's actually telling the truth there. In my opinion, I think that's one of the deals, which is why we're given science fiction movies and we go freely to, from planet to planet and all this other stuff. Um, but one of the things that I think of immediately, is, I, I think I have the clip of that bill and I one. I think I just found it. If you want to hear it real quick. Oh, nice. Yeah, for sure. So I think this is it. Let's see. <laughs> well, Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream cone. Okay, well, it's not loading, but I, I, I have, no the, I found it on BitChute. It should load, but it's just, yeah, it's yeah. just sitting there. Oh yeah, um, yeah, no, it's all good. Um, all right. I'll just say the first thing I think of is the nuclear thing, and I don't know. Have you looked into um, some of the information out there suggesting that uh, nuclear oh, bombs are a hoax? Yes. Um, right. That's something I, that seemed kind of absolutely silly to me until I started looking into how fast they moved back into Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, but my my question with that is if the nuclear bombs are a hoax, does that mean the nuclear power is a hoax? And what were they doing in Oak Ridge in the 40s where they kicked my uh, great-grandparents off their property to build that nuclear bomb? Like, what were they actually doing there if they weren't building a nuclear bomb? That's a great question. You know, I'm not really sure. Um, to me, though, one of the things that I've picked up over time is that the powers that be or shouldn't be or whatever you want to call them um, in certain ways, they completely over inflate the technology that they have at their disposal. And then they also completely undersell what they also have at their disposal. And so it becomes a really tricky situation to figure out what technologies actually exist. So is it feasible? Is it even possible to go to outer space? to to whatever to go through the van allen belt and to go to the moon or whatever you know my personal opinion is i don't think so i don't i don't think we have that kind of power um versus say there is probably other technologies that would blow our mind that they actually do have and um we're completely unaware of it you know what i mean i just had a freaking psychological orgasm <laughs> i found and so it. with no nice. oh, sorry go, go ahead finish your, no, finish your thought and then i'll, I'll play it no, no. So I was just going to say with uh, nuclear bombs and things like that, when I've looked at like older test footage, some of the like little buildings that get completely blown apart right. look like miniatures. They It looks like it's a little set. Oh, and so, um, yeah, and I've heard, too, that like Hiroshima and things like that and, and other um, supposed nuclear bomb events were actually more so um, it, it was a bunch of it was a series of smaller bombs basically. So what would the implication be if nuclear bombs aren't real? What would the implication be in regards to them detonating them in fishbowl? Well, that's what I'm saying. Um, So I'm saying that is that even, did that even occur? Is that real history pretty much? Um, And so I'm not really sure. All I know is that there is good reason to kind of be skeptical of a lot of these different narratives and storylines and and things like that. Um, And also too, Think about how often we talk about 
atomic bombs and things like that and these huge you know world war three going off and everyone dying because whatever russia or china or whomever has these explosives and so to me it's always one of these things where it's like um it's always being dangled in front of your face uh this idea of you know a nuclear war basically and so it's like is this just some sort of propaganda angle some sort of narrative thing is there an agenda behind this or is that even possible or feasible right yeah, I don't, man. Last show, I was saying like I think the the dinosaurs were just a long con by Universal Studios from the 1700s on just to get us to keep paying for these stupid fucking dinosaur movies. <laughs> and shit. Dude, I actually that was another rabbit hole that I went down. I have a full disclosure, man. I have a dinosaur tattoo, and uh, it was one of my first tattoos that I got, and it really it was just an interesting series of events of learning that dinosaurs are more than likely probably a hoax too. Yeah. And so, um, for a few different reasons. Well, and, I mean, uh, Littlefoot I, and Ducky were real, right? Oh, of course. I they're, saw they're a hentai the of them ones. 69ing, dude. <laughs> Please send me that link. That's uh, a Trevor Moore reference, RIP. Um, mm. Okay, I am going to. Okay, let me, let's hear Bill Nye here. Oh, one thing I really want your generation to embrace is that the Earth is a closed system, we cannot leave the Earth. There's no place to go. The Earth is a closed system. The Earth is a closed system. There we go. <laughs> That's actually uh, from the same video I was just playing, the Big Think um, Proof the Earth is Round video. I just didn't get that mm. far into it. Gotcha, gotcha. They didn't slow it down in that version. This was a bit shoot version, but... So here's what I'll say about this. The closed versus open system sort of thing is I think physically it's closed. So we cannot hop into a rocket or we can't hop into a flying saucer and go to outer space and visit these planets. Um, That's been one of the big cons, in my personal opinion, is that when you're looking at outer space, you might as well be looking at the spiritual realm, the realm of spirit. And so that's why these constellations and these stars and astrology and all these things. This is why cultures since the beginning of time had have had a reverence for um, these various star systems in the night sky and everything else. And so what we've been shown, though, through Hollywood and science fiction and everything is that these are actually physical places that you can physically visit, that man can actually go into some sort of ship and take off and land and do experiments and everything else. To me, it just simply does not work that way, more than likely. If it did even, you know, it's just one of these things where you're going to take all of these people's word for it, people you've never met, you know, um, and with, obviously, it's like people are aware now of all the intelligence agencies, you know, existing all over the world and their various agendas and propaganda campaigns and everything else. It's like... Why would you just take these people's word for it that we went to the moon or that Elon Musk sent a car to outer space or whatever just for like, you know, uh, promo purposes or whatever. And so I think that that's been one of the big cons is convincing us that we can get out of here. Now, the other thing I'll say, though, is that in the middle of the plane, it seems as though and there's a long tradition suggesting that this is actually the case, that uh, there are various occult groups and uh, religious organizations and uh, lodge systems that have made a big deal about the northern portion of Earth and the northern portion 
of the night sky, suggesting that there is an ascension point at the north and that there is an actual real stairway to heaven. Tower of and Babel. And it goes it. from... Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, totally. Tower of Babel, I think tower symbolism gets into this for sure. Uh, but that, that they're kind of replicating this idea that there's literally a bridge or stairway to the north and that there are various groups who have believed throughout time that uh, our souls ascend to the north and exit, um, you know, somewhere close to or near uh, the pole star. Or at least the pole star is a symbolic representation of the northern uh, portion of the sky where this happens. So the Egyptians, as an example, they uh, they said that we exited via um, the horn of a great bull. And when you look at Earth, whether you're looking at normie science or alternative science, if you look at normie science, they say that um, the Earth is surrounded by um, a magnetosphere, which is toroidal, which means that there's an opening at the north and there's an opening at the south. So this is why we have the aurora borealis in the north. And so it's this um, magnetic sort of phenomenon. And so we have this magnetosphere around Earth, but there is a northern opening. And so this is the the cusp of the horn of the great bull that the Egyptians were referring to. And so, like I was saying, there's there's been multiple groups who basically revere the North in secret. Uh, they're more from the polar tradition. I think a lot of esoteric groups like the Freemasons, when you really do a deep dive on some of their symbolism, you'd be surprised how much geocentric symbolism there is, and you'd be surprised how much Northern symbolism there is. But uh, there's a common theme about um, there being this opening or gateway or portal at the North. And these groups have basically said that they use this opening uh, for ascension purposes to do astral work and astral travel and things like that, magical workings and whatever. But then they come back. And so I think there's something to be said about us living in a closed system physically, but perhaps metaphysically um, on a more etheric sort of level that it's possible to actually um, get out of here and that what you're actually going to, you're going to more of a spiritual domain. It, it doesn't appear to me to be uh, a physical domain. At least that's not how I perceive it. So we're like in the meat grinder and that spits us out into the astral realm or something. Yeah. So is the, no, yeah, the yeah. No, which, if there's an opening and an exit, the North and South, which one's the mouth and which one's the butthole? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, you know, see, to me, I don't, I don't know what it, it's hard for me to kind of fathom. Actually, are you familiar with the Taurus field? <clears throat> no, I am a Taurus. That's my sign. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, so the Taurus field is a donut, basically, and so it looks like a donut, like the uh, Van Allen. Yeah, you could say that. Um, also, if you like cut an apple in half, it looks like a toroidal field. It looks like a Taurus field, and so the Taurus field is this holistic sort of system where the interior and the exterior are part of the same unit. It's hard to describe through audio, but basically the idea is that we live probably in a nested toroidal system and that what's referred to as the plane of inertia is literally what Earth is. And so we live in kind of like a cosmic egg sort of situation. And which is really interesting for a lot of different reasons, because one of the things people have said, too, is that our energetic bodies are very egg-like. And um, there's even some occultists who have written about the idea that um, before humanity, before humans had a physical body, that 
it was basically just our energetic bodies or our auras that existed that were very egg-like. So this egg sort of shape seems to be kind of like this as above, so below thing where um, we have a correspondence with with this idea and then our universe or the cosmos might have a correspondence with this same idea. But in the middle of a donut, you have that opening, right? And so that's literally what our magnetosphere looks like. It looks like there's an opening in the middle, which would be north for us. And so there's even some flat earth people, geocentric people, who literally think that our concept of south is like completely backwards and that there is no such thing as south because you're living in this kind of self-contained sort of thing that's very donut shaped. You know, there's an interior and an exterior, but um, it may not work the way we've, you know, the, the traditional flat earth map of, you know, there being this ring of land and it's like a disc sort of thing um you know that that may not be accurate basically to reality pretty much and so uh when we refer to south some people have suggested that um south really is just away from north pretty much um some people have theorized that if you go far enough south you might end up at the north or that if you go far enough north you might end up at the south so that's what they mean by the south will rise again Never, never <laughs> so what's exactly that, is what that kind of like when in pac-man when you go off the right side of the screen you come up on the left side is it like some people have theorized that yeah yeah okay. for sure so you know again how are we going to prove any of this stuff right um and so that's why i'm open to people's research and suggestions with everything i definitely don't claim to have all the answers and like i said earlier i consider myself to be you know more of a perpetual student but these are just interesting things to kind of consider and think about um and i think that you know obviously the globe earth the globe model kind of obfuscates um, a lot basically it it keeps us self-contained pretty much in in many ways too yeah, I'm, well, that, that that's a good lead into this uh, next clip I got. It's uh, Operation Fishbowl, and uh, well, which was part of Operation Dominic. My last clip on that. They called it Operation Fishbowl, and it was to shoot missiles into space because they thought they had the power to finally break through the firmament. And actually, what happens if you read the rest of the article? These missiles would hit up at a certain altitude, and then light would shine all the way to the other hemisphere. And the reason that was is because they were hitting that glass and the glass was reflecting it all the way across the sky. It's not some globe earth where they're just trying. Why would they just shoot a missile in the air to see how high it can blow up? Mm. Like, are, are they just playing with rubber bands? Like, they're doing it for a reason. And they called it Operation Fishbowl for a reason. Dominic was from the late Roman Italic name Dominicus, and it means belonging to God. And then that word Chama is a fixed, massive, irregular, inequivalent shell. So they originally called it the shell belonging to God, but then they just termed it Operation mm. Fishbowl. Ah, interesting. I didn't know that. No, me neither. That's really fascinating for a few reasons, for sure. I mean, so I could definitely see a situation where there are people who have the technology who are unaware that we live in a closed system taking it upon themselves to you know uh create these sort of exercises and and see what they can do and see if they can bust through and everything else that's one of the kind of um, themes that i've heard over the years is that there's this constant sort of um thing where people are trying to break out of this place 
and that they're extremely frustrated because they can't. And so um, if you can convince people, though, that you have gotten out of here and that you're exploring space and everything else, obviously, you can see how you can mindfuck people in so many different ways with that. Right. I mean, one thing I am very confident of like is the moon lane was fake i mean I, i've had mm-hmm. bart sabrell on here he's kind of um he's eccentric but he's right about that for sure i, I mean that's yeah that, that doesn't mean that humans have never been to the moon necessarily it just means that what we got was fake the space station shit is so fake it, the zero gravity yeah. keeps failing they gel up their yeah. hair to make their hair stand up the green screen's failing the t- spacex tesla right. stuff is terrible you see mice on the outside of the yep. freaking craft and all all that stuff so the space stuff we're getting is fake. I just have a trouble. I mean, I guess the next logical step is, yeah, what they're, why, what's their motivation to lie to us about that? Um, is it because there's a secret space program that is more important? So they give us all this fake shit and they, and that space is how they tell us, but it's, there's a bunch of fake stuff or a bunch of cool stuff they're doing out in space. They don't want us to know about. Um, or, or, or is it because the nature of reality and the shape of the plane we're inhabiting is not at all what they say. It's I, I don't know the answer to that. But right, I know right. for sure that space shit is fake as fuck, dude. It, it is, dude. It, it's, it's really comical uh, as well. Like once you start realizing it and you just watch anything, <laughs> almost, watch most movies. It's like they're not even it, trying. It, it's hilarious. Exactly. They're, they're not even trying. And I actually don't even think they have to try that hard um we kind of live in the age where you almost don't even need like reason or logic or even real answers for anything and so um they're just getting away with it hook line and sinker um and it's just just the way it is uh but this this debate what's fascinating to me is this debate has been raging on for such a long time one of the things that really blew my mind i just thought it was cool to come across this illustration from, uh, I believe it was the late 1800s, and these women were marching around um, with signs. They were kind of like picketing, and they were wearing globes on their head, and they were holding signs that said, Earth is not a spinning ball. And I'm just like, wow, that's fascinating. Apparently, it was like a real protest, and um, I don't know what group this was, who they were affiliated with, or anything else like that. But it just shows you that this debate has been going on for such a long time. So it goes through patterns, basically, of people being interested in it for whatever reason, and then people not so much being interested in it. Um, And so during, you know, 2014 to 2017 or 18 or whatever, a lot of people were really interested in this information. So it just kind of comes and goes, it seems like. Who... Well, um, okay, so who would have been, I guess, well, I, guess, I guess I should know this by now, I just haven't looked into it, but, so maybe, forgive me if this is a stupid question, but who was the first uh, culture or civilization to posit that the earth was flat? Because famously mean, Galileo got put in, in prison for saying it was round, you know, and the earth didn't revolve around the sun. Right. You know, I'm not really sure. I, I can't really answer that. Um it seems as though that this was a more, I guess, kind of a natural understanding of things um, to pay attention to your senses. <laughs> and basically, they didn't have, you know, the Internet and they didn't have mass media and things like that. 
Although I'm kind of up for debate or I'm kind of uh, debating just world history, basically. It, it seems as though world history is um, on the table. And I don't know what is actually real history, even with this country and, um, you know, uh, people talk about our forefathers. And I've, I've heard George Washington was black. I know that. I've heard people say that. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yes. I like. I think the black Hebrew Israelites. Some of them say that. I don't know. They, Interesting. And then there supposedly was eight presidents before George Washington. Yeah. Really, you can't trust oh, any. Yeah. It's all just some shit somebody drew or wrote down. You can't trust anything. Um, before we had cameras, uh, you know, in like the twenties and thirties, and you, and you can't trust anything after two thousand and four when the CGI and shit. Came. So it's like there's a small window of time where you can really trust anything. It's not because now you can fake all that shit. And before then you could, you didn't have any shit. Well, check this out, man. Um, It's really interesting because I went down a rabbit hole with the civil war and somehow I came across some civil war forum and people were sharing like really, really clean, high resolution images from their collection of uh, civil war photos. And this inspired me to do more research about some of the main photographers. I can't remember their names of uh, that era of the Civil War era. And when I was looking at these photos, I was already questioning like a lot of hoax events, shootings, mass shootings and things like that. And um, I was blown away. And some of those events are real, but I think a lot of them definitely did not occur the way that we're taught they occurred or the way the, the media promotes it. To have happened, but uh, I was blown away at some of these photos, and I might make a presentation about it because I still have all of these around. I was looking at these photos, and dude, some of the people, some of the dead bodies in these major, like common, some of them Civil War photos were dummies. They're not real people. Some of them were not real people. There, it was staged. What and the so, fuck? fucking so Civil was, War crisis actors, dude. Yeah, dude, it's nuts, man. And you look at the face and I just remember, I showed a handful of people once I came across all this stuff. I'm like, look at this face. Is this a real person or is it a dummy? It's a dummy. And then you can see the same face on multiple bodies and all of the bodies were like really stiff and um, they were just put in different positions and everything else. There were some photos where it did look legitimate to me, but there were way more that looked very, very fake. And um, I did some research and it's known, it's well known in the Civil War, I guess, community that some of the biggest photographers of that era were staging photos. And that is like a, like actual legit mainstream historians will acknowledge that. So since the beginning of photography, people have been staging photos and also manipulating photos as well. So even, you know, that window of time you're speaking about, you know, I just think that there's there were opportunities to basically create fake images still, even back then. So what would the what would the motivation be for that? I mean, it, it seems as though the motivations are are generally the same, I think, uh, when it comes to like hoaxing things and faking things and everything else. And um, a lot of it, it's really interesting because so many faked events are very traumatic. And so to me, it speaks to, you know, trauma-based mind control and how it's much easier. I guess it's just in, in terms of, you know, what your philosophy is on things, but um, using trauma to control people and manipulate people is like, you know, as old as the, hill, as old as the hills. 
sort of thing. So it's it people have been using trauma to um, get their way for a very very long time, and at some point it was realized I think that you actually don't need to literally go to war to traumatize people with war. You don't literally need to put on this uh, mass shooting event as long as you just tell people that this event actually occurred. And so right. I think that that's kind of a curious connection is that a lot of these faked storylines are very much like traumatic in nature, pretty much. So, like the Holocaust. I mean, I could see all sorts of different reasons why. <laughs> just right, kidding. Like the Holocaust? Just kidding. Just oh, kidding. Of course, well, we all believe that happened. Jews rock! <laughs> I love Jews! You're Jewish, right? No. Um, no I'm like, in the right place. Yeah. I don't. Uh, of course, that happened is the way they said it. I think it was Nick Fuentes that said if. If a cookie monster wants to bake six million cookies and he has to do it in two hours, but he only has three ovens. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, that's perfect. Yeah. I've never heard that one. But yeah, exactly, though. You get it. Yeah. What's going on? Um, I have a, a voicemail that came in and I know uh, Fletcher and Shandon and possibly Dean or his lady might want to call in. But I have a I have a voicemail I'll play for you that came through. Nice. See, this is uh, Chris, it's the lone wolf. Hey, you gotta ask this flat earther how do you <laughs> reconcile like Graham Hancock and Carlson, their theories on the you catacly- yeah, I hate to pause you there, call it, but Graham Carlson, Freemason, which is interesting. Mm. 33rd or 32nd degree, I think. Are you familiar? I'll, I'll start this over, but are you familiar with all that work that Carlson and Hancock have done about the? Uh, not so much. I know who they are, but okay. I don't know specifically what he's referring to. Um, well, I'll play it through and then we can talk about it. Chris, yeah. it's the lone wolf. Hey, you got to ask this flat earther. How do you reconcile like Graham Hancock and Carlson, their theories on the cataclysms with the flat earth theory? And, you know, say, how do you reconcile when you're on a plane and the sun sets? It should be setting up in the horizon and it doesn't it goes right down to the earth you know both directions i would assume the rise sun i mean how do they reconcile that and you got to say you know a lot of these guys they get it's all religious they can't handle we're spinning around we're monkeys driving cars and you know talking to each other can't handle <laughs> that it's a religious thing and uh you got to say hey you know sometimes when these people ask you you know, do you believe the earth is flat? And you just say, I know Iowa is and be done with it and go and take that pretty girl home to your bedroom and don't get into it. <laughs> take care, bud. <laughs> All right. Thank you, caller. Nice. Lone wolf there. I don't know. Um, well, yeah, go ahead. What do you think? Well, uh, so uh, what's up with the cataclysm thing? Okay. So <clears throat> Hancock and Carlson and Carlson is very convincing to me. And he's also a, uh, done really good debunking of the, fear-mongering around climate change and uh mm. he's done a good job showing global warming is what you want global cooling is uh, we're overdue for an ice age global cooling is uh catastrophic and we're actually overdue for an ice age um but he's him and graham hancock and john anthony west have done a lot of stuff uh this actually might be a good time to call fletcher because i know he's real into this even more than i am but the the crux of it is about eleven thousand to twelve thousand years ago an asteroid impact or a super volcano or something, but the, an asteroid impact is the idea of just completely destroyed civilization and set us back uh, into the stone age, essentially like that's why it land, mm. like the, 
the story of the global flood that every religion has and Atlantis sinking into the under the into the ocean, all that stuff was um the, the these ancient structures like Golbekli Tepe that they've discovered date back mm-hmm. way further back than we thought civilization civilizations ever existed. We back when supposedly everybody was cavemen right. or at best hunter gatherers. Yeah. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. No, my general take on that is um I, I think more than likely, I mean, again, what do I know? Uh, but my hunch is that um you know, a reset eleven thousand, twelve thousand years ago. Uh, that could be the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if we've had more since then. And so um, we it, it seems as though we live in a place that gets reset uh, on occasion or perhaps even way more often than we even realize pretty much. So, I mean, that that does not that would not surprise me at all. Um, there's a lot of people who are talking about a reset in the 1800s. I'm not sure if you've Is that like the Tartaria thing. Rebel. The Tartarian stuff, mud flood stuff, and everything else, and right. that's not so much my bag. I just wouldn't be surprised, you know, just just knowing that um, there are so many basic things that I was taught as a child, um, just simply put, was not correct or accurate in any way, shape, or yeah. form. Um, I'm just I'm open to so many different things. Um, so yeah, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. And then as far as uh, he was saying that the sunrise and the sunset, basically. Um, he thinks that that's a good proof for uh, a ball earth. I guess so, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of where I'm at with everything, too, to be honest, even though I know I'm here, it's almost like uh, the, the burden of proof, if you will, really is more so on the heliocentrists. And so um, it, when I look at reality and when I do my thing, it, it does appear as though we live in a, a geocentric place it appears as though um the land beneath our feet is completely stationary and that it's not moving in fact it's it's the most stable thing i think symbolically in existence and so i think it's fascinating that there's a lot of like movies uh where the villain wants to destroy earth and i think it's fascinating that a lot of people are trying to save the planet and so there's this whole greenwashing sort of agenda right and um, I just, I'm, I, trust me, I do what I can to be as clean living as I possibly can, you know, within reason. Um, but this whole you entire idea that, w- <laughs> I wish, dude, that'd be cool. <laughs> do you have a bidet? No, <laughs> I've used one. I don't have one. I was gotcha. just yeah. No, 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 that's funny. Um, and so to me, there has been this theme, this propaganda theme, this mind control theme that the world is in peril and that the world can be destroyed and that the world needs our help. Dude, the world is going to be just fine. There's a Humanity great George Carlin joke like that. He's like, people are saying, like, we're going to destroy the planet. The planet's been through a lot worse than us. When the planet's done <laughs> with us, it'll shake us off like a bad case of fleas. And it's like, yeah. Dude, exactly. Exactly right. And so when I see a lot of these movies now where I'm like, oh, here's another movie where the bad guy is trying to destroy the planet via whatever method. You know, growing up and watching these cartoons and stuff, it's like there were so many examples of the earth being destroyed. Dude, we have nothing to worry about. This thing is stable. It's going to outlive us. It's potentially the most stable thing in the universe, to be honest. And so everything is kind of flipped on its head that way. Um, And so anyway, so I guess that would be my response there. But um, I don't when I'm flying and I see this horizon or the the sunset or whatever, I, I don't see curve basically personally i don't either 
but you know people would say that's because the plane I'm in doesn't get high enough uh, up and up uh, Gooch had Jason in the chat says the windows on an airplane are just screens showing CGI renderings so, <laughs> um, uh, Fletcher wanted me to call him and maybe talk about this he's big into the cataclysm stuff give him a call nice. is that okay yeah for sure ring ring bitch should be ringing this is so important. We have to do this. Uh, let's be nice. Uh, hello? Fletcher, you're on the air with Mark. I mean, Mark. Jesus. Mario Garza. Why do I keep doing that? I'm sorry. Uh, I don't too many okay. Hey. <laughs> hey, Fletcher. Yeah, so... Uh, Cool shit, man. I don't know where to start. Like, uh, uh, I just like listening to the guy. So awesome. You know, I like uh, the way, uh, like the way you're thinking, man. Like, um, I say like in college, I took, a uh, an introductory astrophysics course. It's like an elective. Doesn't need an extra class. Um, oh, there's a police officer. Hello, copper. Uh, so, um, are they coming? But ever me? since then, you know, I've, I've really, they're not after me, no. Not yet. Oh, good. Uh, Fuck the cops. I have yeah. been... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Really, like, uh, well, like what you're saying, like a heliocentric way of uh, looking at things. But that has led me to a whole lot of questions. Uh, mm. Similar questions that flat earthers have. Now, my way of thinking is just because they're questions, that doesn't mean we have to jump to the Earth is flat conclusion. But the questions are still there, like, well, I'm outside right now. What's up with the hot spot in the clouds if the sun's so far away? Mm. And then, Say that right. again? What, the hot spot in the clouds? Yeah, yeah. So how the, where the sun is behind the clouds, it's really bright, and then that light spreads out. As opposed to if the sun was 93 million miles away, it should be hitting the earth evenly, all the light from the sun. Uh, it wouldn't create a hot spot on the clouds like that. Exactly. But I don't know. I don't know the fucking answers because I've never been off the planet. And, um, but I have, like, what y'all were talking about with them shooting nukes up at the sky. That's some weird shit. Like, what the fuck for? Uh, is it the same reason why uh, Elon um, and Bezos only go 60 miles in the air and then stop? Right, right. Yeah, no, it appears as though there's some sort of uh, field or barrier of some kind that literally prevents people yeah. from being able to, to take off and, and go further, for sure. And why would they call it Operation Fishbowl? Yeah. That's just suspicious. Exactly. Now, I don't think it's like glass, like a solid material like glass, but it could be a physical property of plasma or something like that where it appears to act solid. We I mean, they do that in labs now where they can make these tiny force fields with plasma where shit can't get through there. Right. So right, it, right. It, could, it could be that. And what's also altered my way of thinking, believe it or not, is psychedelics like mushrooms and acid. Because uh, when I was on acid, I heard the moonlight. Like I heard the moonlight. And it's wow. weird. Uh, and- I, still, I still get a weird feeling when the full moon's out. Uh, like in the back of my neck. 
Yeah, um, is it is it main? I don't is know. It mainly established that moonlight is cold or has a cold property to it. You know, that's what I always heard as a kid. Like I have older relatives because my dad was uh, one of the last born in his family, a big family, and so that's all what my older relatives said. I got a real bad sunburn one summer, and my aunt told me to go stand out in the moonlight because it, it cools mm. you off as opposed to the sunlight, which warms you up. I don't know. To me, like, when I could hear it, it seemed like it was a reflection of everything that's going on on Earth. Like, it was like somebody left all the TVs on, is what it wow. was like. But it wasn't loud and deafening. Yeah, it was That's just, really it was interesting. Weird, dude. Yeah, yeah, no, and, I, I mean, believe that. Could the sun be the same thing? Could the sun be the same thing? Could it also be a reflection? I mean... It could; those two objects could also be a property of the plasma that's uh, enclosed us. We don't know. Right. Right. I don't know. Well, there's a couple of things, they, and like what I you were saying to too, with the other two objects. You know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no worries. No worries. Um, just real quick. One, uh, moonlight is cooler, and so you can test it yourself. All you have to do is go outside. When there's a full moon, stand in direct moonlight and then go behind something so that you're in the shadow of the moonlight. And you'll notice a difference that literally you feel cooler um, when you're exposed to the moonlight. And then when you go into a shadow, like a, a tree or something, and you're not in direct exposure to the moonlight, you literally feel warmer. And so just do it. Next time there's a full moon, I encourage anybody to oh, get Oh, that's a what I do, I, especially in the yeah. summertime. Can that be replicated yeah. with a thermometer, <clears throat> or is it just because it, ha it has to be a living organism that experiences that phenomenon? That's a really good yeah, question. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, but I kind of thought it might just be psychosomatic from hearing it that my brain's making it true, but I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I don't right, know right, anything right. anymore. I thought I knew shit, but the more we, <laughs> the more I read stuff, the more I find out I don't know nothing. I don't know anything. It's, it's not a bad place to be, man. Um, the other thing I'll say is there there's a thread within the alternative cosmological community, I guess, where uh, there have been people who have suggested and who have put out a lot of work saying that the moon's craters literally are a reflection of what is going on in this plane. And so... Um, so I've you seen saying that, yeah right this mirroring sort of thing or whatever just reminded me of that and so and plus moon symbolism which i'm a uh, symbol guy symbolic literacy guy moon symbolism is all about mirrors it's all about reflections it's all about you know water is the first uh reflection the first mirror to have ever existed and so everything about the moon implies receptivity and kind of like absorption it's very very watery you know, things like that. And so um, to me, when I first heard that theory, I thought that lined up nicely with what the moon traditionally has represented. Um, so anyway, so there's hmm. that. But yeah, you're bringing up some interesting, um, some interesting thoughts for sure. Well, like, all right, so are you. Uh, usually I, uh, when I listen to a lot of, because I'd listen to a whole lot of stuff. Um, like most flat earthers are just as close-minded, but you're not. And that's what made me like, listen, I was like, oh, this guy's like pretty open-minded, and I, I appreciate that, and um, uh, what, like, you brought up uh, Randall Carlson and uh, Graham Hancock, I have uh, Hancock's, like, 
most recent book, America Before. And um, what he was saying about, like, Egyptians and um, uh, American Indians was that they had the same belief system about Orion. They just didn't call it the same thing. Um, but they both believed that that was the portal that your soul went to. But it was only at certain times of the year, like twice a year, whenever the uh, the constellation and the sun are on the horizon together that opens up the portal mm. and uh, then you travel along the Milky Way and your soul goes to the, the duat or whatever uh, you want to call it the duop like scoop doop doop <laughs> what what's that yeah like 1950s man did you is that what, is that what you called it the duop we're all going to be in a heavenly uh, a heavenly uh, barbershop quartet is that actually what you what you referred to it as or did I mishear you it sounded like duop Oh, uh, with a T at the end, duat. Oh, okay. Duat to others as you would have them duat to you. I try to do that, (laughs) yeah. I mean, duat. A chihuahua can mate with a a bull mastiff. (laughs) (laughs) Babies and cows. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, I don't think we went to the moon. Um... I don't know where they went, but the guys that uh, said they went there didn't go there. Um, and it's interesting about the toroidal field and how we could be living on that, that plane, what they call a Z-pinch, because I, I uh, follow this channel called the Thunderbolts Project, and yep. that's all electric universe-type way of thinking. And, um, you know, that's where they say, like, the stars form at the Z-pinch of these, uh, these uh, helical fields um uh, birkeland currents and um pretty much like cosmic electrical wires and if right. we were in a toroidal field where they they cross from going up to, from you know underneath back up like that kind of makes sense because what would happen yep. there well, we don't know right right um, right no exactly it's all very interesting shit uh but I can't talk long. I gotta get back into the shop. But uh, man, it's cool listening to you, uh, and uh, Thanks, I like man. all the shit you're saying. It makes my brain work. I appreciate that. And Chris, it's fucking cool. You had the guy on your show. So uh, thanks to both of y'all for uh, talking about it. Thanks. Pleasure. Maybe I'll call back oh, yeah, later yeah. after I leave. Also, yeah, I might do a I might do yeah, a post so. show. I know, um, like later on here after uh, after Mario gets out of here. Um, but yeah, Fletcher of Hog Story. Thanks for calling in, mate. Hey, man. Thanks, dude, take for, care. Thanks for calling me. We'll talk to you later. Oh, yeah. I did call him, right? I didn't call you. <laughs> Oops. Um, That's like his opinion, man. Um, I don't know. What, nice. Did you have anything um, that you felt was pressing to cover before we wrap up here? Yeah. You know, um, I feel like because you brought up uh, Operation Fishbowl a couple of times, I just want to make a note here uh, regarding water symbolism and how there are multiple groups who have suggested that there are waters above and there's waters below, basically. And we know that Earth is mostly covered in water and uh, we are mostly water. Water as an element is extremely important on so many different levels. It just, it kind of boggles the mind, actually. What are you talking Um, about? (laughs) You're quick, man. I like it. Um, 
And so the uh, the whole thing, though, regarding uh, being in a fish bowl is interesting because if you notice how they show us space works is very watery. And so in order to go to space, you have to get on a ship, right? And so the same way, if you're going to sail the seven seas, you have to get on a ship or a boat. And then also um, you're put in a suit, right? If you're going to do uh, like a deep dive in the ocean. And so it's very similar to the suits that an astronaut might wear when going to outer space, or at least that's what they show us, that you need to have a helmet and you have to have this suit on. And then you also have to have like an umbilical cord back to the ship the same way you would need to have an umbilical cord if you were doing a deep dive, right? Back to your ship. Bubbles in space. (laughs) And then also too, the other thing that I think is really fascinating is that they always say or show us that if you go to outer space, you start floating, that there's zero gravity in space. What happens when you go in the water? You start floating. And so what I think has happened is that a lot of watery symbolism has basically been transferred over to quote-unquote space symbolism. And so um, when you're dealing with space symbolism, I just see a lot of watery overlapping themes. Hence, fishbowl, waters above, waters below. Um, sort Dude, of they turned they turned the book Treasure Island into the Disney movie Treasure Planet. Remember that? Uh, no, I don't remember space that, pirates and shit. Well, yeah, it's uh. just there's a lot of um, there's a lot of examples of. I mean, I mean, just Star Wars, all the space stuff. There's, it's very um, analogous to the old. Uh, sometimes directly referencing and cribbing from, but sometimes in more obscure ways. The space lore is almost always referential of the old, like, uh, ocean, like, you know, uh, what's another one? Um, Swiss Family Robinson, where the the family gets stranded on the island. Mm. Then the Lost in Space in the 1960s, um, when Kennedy was president, Lost in Space came out, and it was the Robinsons get stranded on a planet, Lost in Space, the TV show. Mm. So it's like Mm. a lot of that oceanic adventure stuff has been completely... Uh, repackaged in space. um, uh, Oh yeah. Entertainment. Right, right, right. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, And so, yeah. And so the last thing I'll just say with everything, just because it's kind of like the current thread that I'm on with everything, but hopefully someone out there finds it interesting. And like I said, if you guys want more information about this, you can check out some of my presentations uh, on my YouTube channel and everything. But I really think that when you start looking at occult symbolism if you look at it through a heliocentric solar-based lens, you are going to miss a lot of important details. Once you start looking at it through a geocentric earth-based lens, you're going to start noticing a lot more important information. And so my sort of rabbit hole with occultism and magic and things like that, I've been, you know, reading some of this material for a number of years now, and I feel like I've been in a lot of ways, just kind of like divinely led, I guess you can say, to read certain books and to be given certain books and everything else. And um, once I bridged the gap between geocentrism and occultism, a lot of really, really interesting things started kind of coming to life and started presenting itself. So there's so many channels, there's so many podcasts and things like that talking about you know, the nature of magic or the occult or whatever. And um, I just want to say that 
um, geocentrism has its place within all of that. And that there are literally sorcerers who use a geocentric framework for their magical workings. And it's not a heliocentric framework. There are groups, there are lodges, there are people, there's families, mafias, whatever, who are well aware of the more so the real construct of Earth in terms of uh, not living on a globe spherical ball and not revolving around a sun and everything else. That there's a lot of powerful people, people in the know, lodge groups, etc., that um, have a geocentric understanding of things and they use it for their magical workings and magical purposes. And so um, I just think that there's so much to gain from ditching heliocentrism on like, you know, practical sort of levels, everyday sort of levels, but also on metaphysical sort of magical occult levels as well. So I think that for me, at least when I got to that point, I started coming across a lot of interesting information that resonated way more with me. And I guess that's just kind of the theme with all of this is that as I've continued on my sort of geocentric flat earth journey, if you want to call it that, um, the information and, and what I absorb about it and how I just kind of live my life and everything, it continues to reinforce that that is closer to reality than what I was taught in school. And so just over the years, I've had many opportunities to either um, debunk myself or, uh, you know, kind of realize that I've been wrong or that I went down a, uh, you know, some sort of rabbit hole that maybe wasn't as honest or truthful as I thought. But actually, the exact opposite has happened. It's like the more I continue studying and reading and everything else, the more the geocentric framework continues to, to prove itself. And so anyways, just a few random thoughts just to, uh, to, to cap things off here. Yeah, I'm definitely fascinated by it and I'm open to it. Um, I know I'd love to talk to you again in the, uh, down the line and maybe, maybe sure. by the time, maybe the next time we talk, I'll be, uh, I'll be all in on the geocentric model. I don't know. I've, it's one of those things where I've only, I've, I've had long conversations about it, but I've never done my own studies, my own calculations, my own experiments, um, uh, but I have a lot of friends that are right. very much into it. One thing you said that really made kind of had me thinking is you said a lot of secret societies and powerful people mm-hmm. know this and they use that to their advantage. Yeah. But that's kind of, uh, that would be kind of, um, I don't know. It seems like that's kind of, um, I mean, not, not saying that it wouldn't happen, but it seems like when you had that kind of knowledge, it would make you, realize um i don't know why would you want to use that for evil i guess or or how does does that make sense like if you know there is like a divine order to the universe it seems like that mm-hmm. kind of knowledge would make you want to work in tandem with it instead of against it right right um yeah that's a good question or uh something to think about i think that personally the way i look at things is i there's a lot of people who want like a utopia you know, and they're, they're striving for it and they want to pass laws that are going to create some sort of golden age, I guess. And I just don't think it ever happens. And so I think that people are kind of misled with that too, that I don't think that there's ever a time where everybody gets along and that people are just civil with each other and that people are just, you know, uh, ascended or, or what have you. And so I just never see it that way. I have more of a philosophy where 
no matter how good things are going, no matter what's happening in the world, I really feel like there's always just going to be adversarial people. And so um, there's always going to be people who have not done their own personal work. And so they're always going to want to, um, you know, be subversive, control other people, manipulate people. Um, they're going to want the easy way out of certain things. And sometimes that might be, um, you know, um, creating these campaigns to take over a country or, you know, creating a false war or, or whatever. And so um, I just always think there's people like this. And so mm. I'm under um, the opinion that no matter what kind of holistic beneficial information might be out there, there's just people who are not going to roll that way in terms of lifestyle and what they choose to do and everything else. But I, I see where you're coming from with your point though. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, we know there's people that have forbidden knowledge often um, use it for, or not forbidden knowledge, but people who have more knowledge often use it. Right. Like what yeah. was the stories? Wasn't it, uh, it, was it Columbus? It wasn't Columbus, but it was somebody that uh, tricked the Native Americans uh, or maybe the mm. the Hawaiians or something. There's the lore in, that you heard about in history class where they he predicted there was a um, uh, when when the uh, eclipse would happen. And he said, give me all your gold or I'll make the sun go away. And then they're like, ah, fuck you. Mm. And then the sun goes away and they're like, ah, and the game all's gold. I don't even know if that's yeah, true, yeah. but I've, I've always heard that story. Was that Captain Cook or something like that? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. But no, exactly. Exactly. And so at the very least, I mean, there just appears to be multiple factions of, of groups of people. And they have their experience, they have their psychology, they have their perceived history. And so they're going to do things a certain kind of way. And they're going to see everyone else that's maybe not part of their tribe as the other, you know, and so that's a common sort of thing as well. So maybe uh, if we have this understanding of reality, um, we want to keep it, we want to hoard it for ourselves. And then everyone else, you know, we're going to give them the, this other way of, of doing everything, basically. But it's going to be so far off from reality that we can basically manipulate them anytime we want. And we know that the education system that we're going to give them and the propaganda we're going to give them, it's going to create a certain kind of psychology within these people. And they're always going to want, as I was saying earlier, um, external guidance, external help, external validation. It never goes back to self. So this whole reality, the, the, the solar-centric, heliocentric reality, it's all designed to get you away from self. It's all designed to get you away from your true north and from uh, your own power and your own sovereignty and your own spirituality and things like that. That's just personally how I see it. I think that there's a lot of things in line with that. It makes a lot of sense to me, man. Um, right on, and right even, on. even if it's, I mean, even if people, uh, I, I understand like a lot of people listen to this, uh, probably aren't open to, uh, the literal, the ideas you're saying taken literally, but even as a, in a metaphorical sense, I think that's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, positive that can be gleaned from everything you've been saying, but sure, I'm open, sure. I'm open to it, man. I, um, definitely more open to it than I ever thought I'd be I'll tell you that, but yeah, nice. um, dude, Thanks, Mario, for coming on at Symbol Studies on Twitter, SymbolicStudies.com, and uh, your YouTube Symbolic Studies too, right? Yes, Symbolic Studies, yep. Cool. And then on yeah. Instagram, it's uh, Symbol.Studies. Nice. Cool, man. Or Symbolic.Studies, excuse me. But yeah, man, no, this was a great time, dude. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, honestly, I love your uh, <laughs> I love your clips and your soundboard there. So yeah, hit me with a good one before I leave. I love you guys. <laughs> uh, thanks, <laughs> Mario. That's uh Anyway. Um, yeah.
Uh, hopefully, I was. I've, I've been doing a little drinking today, so hopefully, it wasn't too noticeable. <laughs> no, man, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Dude, somebody sent that in. Oh, that crowd applause goes on way too long, huh? Somebody sent this in. Um, I've been drinking beer. Beer, 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 beer. That's the Chinese nice. opening for Bill Nye the Science Guy, but the Chinese guys pronounce it beer, beer. <laughs> <laughs> I had that had to be pointed That's out awesome. to me. Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Cool, dude. All right, man. Well, until next time. Thanks, man. Um, and yeah, uh, symbolicstudies.com. I put that in the chat for everybody and uh, it'll be linked in the show notes as well. All right, dude. Take it easy. See ya. Have a good man. We were joking around again, sir. And it went too far, just like it always does. Someone always gets hurt. What a concept. You know, the universe is a little bit like the human hand. For example, you have Grauman's center right here, and then you have undiscovered worlds and uh, um, Sector 8, and up here, it's the uh, Tillman's crest. So you can, you can kind of picture that it, it's a little bit like a leaf, or, a, or a, it's not a bowl. The universe is beautiful. Something like a new woman that I was going to date. You're dark and you're, you're massive and you have a black hole and all of those elements I want to explore just like you would explore on a new date. You want to dive deep into them and, and feel around and just see, see what's going to come out of that. The time it takes to get from one star to another star is instead you need to travel at the speed of light and us humans can't even fathom the concept of that kind of time because it's really, 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 really fun to think about taking a speed of light ride. <laughs> if you could put the universe into a tube, you'd end up with a, a very long tube, um, probably extending uh, twice the size of the universe because when you collapse the universe, it expands and it would be, uh, you wouldn't want to put it into a tube. Picture a hot dog bun and, and throw all the stars, the hundreds of stars that there are in the universe into a, pa into a bag and put the universe into a bag and you all of a sudden they become um, when I was a child there was thought to be nine planets but there are now 90 planets you know the ultimate fate of the universe is so dark and mysterious that it generates butterflies in my stomach and that goes to tickles in my spine and that creates goose pimples and then that penetrates my mind and then the, the whole big bang Stars can be fun. A lot of people say, Donna, you get so wrapped up in the physics of it, don't you have any fun? I say, well, I go up and I look at the stars through my telescope and I see the little dipster, or I see the big dipster. Every star has its, has a sister star, um, a little bit like two eyeballs. If you can imagine, if, if, if you could see the other side of my eyeball, you'd see a 360 degree eyeball. Do you know that when you look at a planet and you see that light, that planet's not even there? That's just a light. That's just your neighbor shining a flashlight right into your yard, looking for coons. And he says, what are you doing in my backyard with that flashlight? 
And I told him, I'm shining, I'm shining in your window so I can teach your son about the universe. He said, get out of my yard and why are you communicating to my son? Why are you in all black? Behind my bushes shining a light into my house. And I said, I'm teaching your son about the universe. I'm shining a light. Shining a light right in there and exploring his room as he's looking out and exploring the universe. I turn the light off and I see your son go to bed and I turn the, sh the light back on and I do swirls on his wall like a comet's tail. I do this every night with your son. You have to remember how big of a conspiracy this is. This isn't talking about just the JFK thing or isn't talking about just 9-11. It's on an umbrella kind of system to where it is the biggest deception that there is. It actually exposes every other deception and nothing else brings down the power of the elite because it really exposes education, science, the economy, television, museums, universities. Think of all the things that have been fooled. I feel worse for the people that are out there building satellites, the people that are out there actually working for these space agencies, the people out there teaching in schools as professors, because they would all come to the conclusion eventually, once this gets out, that they've all been contributing to the lie. This is why you have to ask questions. The Earth spins at a thousand miles per hour at the equator and travels around the sun at 70,000 miles per hour. And the sun travels through the galaxy at 450,000 miles per hour. That's 8 trillion miles the sun has traveled since the year zero. Over a light year. And yet for thousands of years even before that, people were looking into the sky and seeing the same stars that we see today. 
And if they had the same optics that we have today, they'd be able to photograph perfect star trails just like we can. I do not believe this is possible. told me to do a search online search for photos of earth he said this shit will blow your mind so i opened up the google and i looked for photos of earth well a lot of photos came up he said click on the first he said that's the famous blue marble that everybody's seen we've seen this photo a thousand times upon our tv screen but let me tell you something about that famous shot not a photo at all, man. It was made in Photoshop because there ain't no photographs about somebody tell me why. They're all just Photoshop cartoons. They're all just CGI. No photographic proof of a code. No, none at all. Why the hell can't no one take a photo of this ball? He was goddamn right. That shit did blow my mind. Because I thought the blue marble was a photo all this time. Well, don't you think that's strange, he said suspiciously. Well, the fact that it ain't a photo seems pretty weird to me. I mean, the most important photo that man could ever take? This huge, iconic image turns out to be a fake? Well, I couldn't quite believe it, man. I, I was pretty shocked. I needed further proof that this photo's photoshopped. He said, look up Robert Simmon. He made that cartoon ball. He's the guy you should research. He works for NASA and all. He openly admits that it's all just artistry. He said, and I quote, it's photoshopped, but it has to be. There ain't no photographs, but somebody tell me why. They're all just photoshopped cartoons. They're all just CGI. No photographic proof of a code. No Every photo of the Earth is artist trickery. All the photos on Google, man, are as fake as fake can be. Download all the photos and put them side by side. Compare all the continents. They're each a different size. Compare all the colors, each globe a different shade. If all of these were photos, man, they should look the goddamn same. Where's the continuity? There's none. No, none at all. All that NASA gives us is a bunch of cartoon balls cause There ain't no photographs, but somebody tell me why They're all just Photoshop cartoons, they're all just CGI No photographic proof of a code, no none at all Why the hell can't no one take a photo of this ball? Now we're supposed to have this telescope, right, that's flying past the stars Taking beautiful photos of Jupiter and Mars well, I've got a small suggestion, NASA. Here's something you could do. Point that thing at planet Earth and take a shot or two because there should be goddamn thousands of photos of where we live. But Hubble ain't taken one. That's suspicious, don't you think? 
We got all these fancy pictures of spinning galaxies, but not one goddamn photo of the Earth for us to see. Cause there ain't no photographs, you bet somebody tell me why. They're all just Photoshop cartoons, they're all just CGI. No photographic proof of a globe, no none at all. Why the hell can no one take a photo of this ball? There ain't no photographs, you bet somebody tell me why. They're all just Photoshop cartoons, they're all just CGI. No photographic proof of a globe, no none at all. Why the hell can no one take a photo of this ball? that's going to be etched in history. It's a quest for truth, and it can seem crazy, but all of us laughed at this topic, including myself. This is probably the most ridiculous thing I ever thought that I'd be doing, and here I am organizing the Flat Earth International Conference, but I'm not laughing anymore. There's a lot of people that have different ideas on what the flat earth is. But what one thing we all agree on is that we don't live on a spinning ball flying through infinite space. Do you feel yourself spinning, wobbling, gyrating? No, I'm pretty rock solid. We always say, don't believe us. Do your own research. But unless you know there's a question, you're not going to do the research. Toilet water's not flying out on people in Australia because of gravity. Well, hello. It doesn't fly out of the toilet because water seeks its level. The flat earth would be a circular flat area surrounded by a field that is known as Antarctica. This white rim around the outside, a lot of people refer to it as the ice wall. And then the dome is over the top. Now, how high it is is also in question. I believe it's a, some kind of a star field firmament about 6,000 miles above us. and It appears to be a cymatic light field, electromagnetic energy, not gravity at all. Gravity is a deception. The sun and the moon are these transcendental cymatic um, luminaries. The best part of being at a conference like this is I can talk to somebody that will listen to you. My mother, if I try to talk to her about any of these things, she doesn't believe me. I just can't take that rejection. So coming here, you're going to talk to people who have done the same journey, and they've come to the same conclusions, and they don't want to live a lie. Done about a dozen experiments. I was actually looking to debunk flat earth. I'm not like diehard flat earther. I want to be a flat earther. I want to believe the government. I, I want to believe what we've been told our whole life. There's nothing worse than being like, oh, the people that we pay taxes to are lying to us with our money. They're lying. I ain't buying. So who's, who's they? Well, basically, 
Uh, Satan. I don't necessarily want to get into like naming. It's like you know, it's the Illuminati or the Bilderbergs, the Jesuits, the Freemasons, or the Trilateral Commission, or the Vatican, the Zionist, NASA, of course. These are amazing. Are you selling? Yes. As far as I know, I'm the first guy in the whole world to make a working physical model of the flat Earth. All these are for sale except this one, and that one got sold already. This one I had on the website for five seventy-five. dollars so I named this one Hidden Lands Beyond because some of us think that there's other lands that they're hiding from us. And that could be very well that they discovered these other lands and they just don't want us to know about it. I mean, you know, we might want to go there, repopulate it. This is the beginning. This will be put in the history books. Today, mark that date. Because whether it's the next generation or the generation afterwards, they will remember this date. People are taking notice, something's going on. This has got to a point now where it's becoming real. It's blast off for a real life rocket man. Holy <laughs> he did it! The self-taught engineer propelled himself 1,875 feet into the sky in his homemade steam-powered rocket. Onlookers are amazed. Whoa! But his descent nearly turned into a disaster. Oh my God, watch out, guys, watch out. The rocket is zooming back to Earth at 350 miles an hour. He deploys a parachute to slow down the descent, then another chute. But boom, it's a crash landing. Response teams in the Mojave Desert rush over to help. Bystanders cheer him on, but the 61-year-old rocket man, known as Mad Mike Hughes, feared he'd broken his back. Easy, easy, easy. Okay, I know my easy, guys, easy. Switch your butt. I don't know if I broke my back. Please, I don't know if I broke my back. Photos show Mad Mike building his rocket over the last 10 years, all to prove what most people consider a ridiculous notion. The world, I believe, is honestly flat. We caught up with the limo driver today, ironically outside court where he was fighting a speeding ticket. I took a pretty hard hit and I'm feeling it right now. I believe I have a compressed uh, fracture of one of my lower vertebrae. He says the rocket ride was terrifying. It's scary because once you pull the lever and you release the plunger, there's no way to stop it. Even so, this rocket man says he's glad he did it. And by the way, the earth is definitely not flat. We'll start with some basic questions. The sky is... In a world where it feels like nothing is as it seems... Blue. It's blue, of course. Oh, the sky's blue. The sky's blue. One plus one is... Two. 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 There's at least one truth we thought was indisputable. And the Earth is... Flat. Flat. The Earth is flat. My reality, my senses tell me that the Earth is flat and stationary. Or so I thought. But for the people attending the first Flat Earth International Conference here in Cary, North Carolina, their Earth is indisputably not round. Everybody here can agree on absolutely one thing, which is it is not a globe. For centuries, a flat Earth was accepted as certainty until science and sailboats said otherwise. And one rules of power is you never admit that there's someone bigger than yourself. But in 2015, this guy, Mark Sargent, posted his flat earth clues. 
part of a series of clues that can help you get your head around both the design of the flat earth system we live in. You're kind of the like father of this oh, movement. Boy, how, how would you? Don't do <laughs> You're that. You're the one who sort of started it all. I did not invent flat earth. All I did was walk up to a door, point at it, say, you know what? I think there's some really interesting things on the other side of this, and check it out for yourself. If Flat Earth is a university, you know, FEA, then I would be the freshman recruiter. People have traveled from around, actually, Mark would say, across the flat world to attend. The first rule of Flat Club is you don't talk about Flat Club. Until now. You know, I have a poem about that. It's, uh... <laughs> Right here. Amy Nicholson wrote a book of poetry about her flat earth journey. A few months flat and seven months to rally. Kim Gurley came to the conference from Houston. I haven't really come out all the way yet. I'm still a little in the closet. <laughs> the North Pole's in the middle. Lainey Inavali came from even farther. I mix with quite a lot of flat earthers in, a, in uh, New Zealand. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. One, two, three. We're like many modern movements, this one has grown in large part out of the internet, with rappers like Odd TV evangelizing to hundreds of thousands of subscribers. No more living on a cartoon ball. And YouTube channels like Globusters, encouraging skepticism about what you've been taught. For the serious students here at the conference, this has got to a point now where it's becoming real. It all comes down to proof. When it comes to science, there's things you can test right now, right? Fire burns, water's wet, drop something, falls to the ground, that appears to be gravity. Those are things you can test, right? But the curving horizon, the sloping sea level, the spin of the earth, unless you can see these phenomena with your own eyes, they may not be true. Right? A lot of people are going, this is This is crazy, crazy right? But think about this, for the last 20, 25 generations, this is what we've told people. Unlike what we've been told in school, some flat earthers imagine the earth looks like a snow globe, round, but not sphere. The North Pole is at the center of most flat earth maps, with the ice of Antarctica holding everything in. So are you certain this is what the earth looks like? Pretty sure. Almost. I mean, there, there are some details to be worked out, sure, but the basic concept is sound. Absolutely sound. And one thing, again, we absolutely know for a fact, this ain't it. So those iconic blue marble images seen from space, flat earthers denounce them as fakes. You start seeing words like composite or animation or, you know, something that tells you this is not an actual photograph of the earth. Yes, question. So if you think I'm you like have questions. Um, feel free to line up and ask them while I'm reading the opening statement. The flat earthers have many, many more. This is what returns to earth. Which is why I thought someone who's actually seen the earth from space might have some answers. One plus one is? Two. What color is the sky? Blue. And the earth is? Round, <laughs> just like it is here, this model of it. Professor Mike Massimino spent more than 20 days in space and worked on the Hubble telescope. So when you lo looked at the planet, what did it look like? It looks round, folks. <laughs> it is round, my, my eyewitness account. And I looked at it as much as I could. It is round. Okay, we're in the final countdown. 
How you doing over there? He's playing himself on the Big Bang Theory, but some flat earthers actually believe astronauts are just actors, part of a huge conspiracy going back to those very first steps on the moon. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. You don't believe that they've gone to space? No, no, not at all. The rockets go up, sure. There's nobody in them. I hope you're ready to listen fast because I'm ready to speak fast. Rob Skiba is another one of the celebrity contrarians in the flat earth movement. His popular YouTube videos and podcasts take clues from the Bible's book of Genesis. There's no way you can get a spinning heliocentric globe out of anything in the Bible. Are you just skeptical Cars. of everything? I have become skeptical of everything, and I think rightfully so. Pretty much everyone here, though, is kind of a conspiracy theorist. I don't see it. That's a common trait, but I think there's a little bit of conspiracy theorists in all of us. I really do. This is going to be fun. It's why many of them do their own experiments. Daryl Marble packed a level on a flight to test if the plane was flying parallel to a flat Earth. So there's going to be some science-y people who say that is a real Bobo experience. experiment. They, they have. That's a little basic. I know. It's so simple, it'll go right over your head. The credo for many of these believers, check it out for yourself. Go out and test. You just want them the to ask the questions. Why do you believe what you believe? And let you go from there. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could tell you something, that, and then you just look at me and say, I'm crazy. A lot of people watching this are going to be like, that man well, is crazy. I'm sure they <laughs> probably do. And, and I would say, well, they're crazy for not testing what they think they believe. Mm -hmm. But in a world of disagreements, large and small, for something as clear as this horizon, the interpretation could be infinite. For Nightline, I'm Eva Pilgrim in Cary, North Carolina. See my best, checkmate, in a game of chess, globalist, see me as a threat, free thinking, got the world at my neck, huh? And my paranoid picture, Michael Max in a room full of pigs, trying not to bust a sweat, ayy. Neil Tyson need to loosen up his vest, they probably write that man one hell of a check, ayy. Use, use, use your common sense. Why is NASA part Department of Defense? They divided up the seas into 33 degrees. Feeding kids masonry, bro. Be careful what you read. Flatline, flatline. It's no superior bloodline. Flatline, flatline. You got me once, but that died. Ay. So you want to find the farthest point from that center. And it turns out sea level at the equator is farther away from the center of the Earth than sea level near the poles. It has nothing to do with global warming and melting of the ice caps. Why is that? Because Earth, we know it spins once a day. Yes, thank you. Three people know the, how long a day last year. Good for row number two. They're <laughs> off to a great start. So, so you spin. You know, when you spin pizza dough, it kind of flattens out. Yeah. It gets wider in the middle. And So Earth, throughout its life, even when it formed, it was spinning. And it got a little wider at the equator than it does at the poles. So it's not actually a sphere. It's, an, it's oblate. 
and officially it's an oblate spheroid. That's what we call it. But not only that, it's slightly wider below the equator than above the equator. A little chubbier. A little chubbier. Yeah. Chubby is a good word. It's like pear-shaped. Yeah. So it turns out the pear-shapedness is bigger than the height of Mount Everest above sea level. Bounce. Flatline, you fooled us for the last time. Flatline, flatline, there's no superior bloodline. Dead.